Welcome to Moralia Python Radio with your hosts, Eric Burke and Owen McIntyre. Okay, welcome to another episode of Moralia Python Radio. And uh, tonight, uh, Owen is visiting his tortoise. Um, so uh, I have my good friend Rob Stone <laughs> hanging out with, uh, with me. And uh, we're just talking about various topics. I don't think that there's ever been a show like this with me and you, Rob. I mean, we've always had a guest. We talk to each other probably once or twice a week sometimes. Uh, so this is, you're going to get an insight uh, into that conversations of uh, what would happen. Obviously, we're going to talk about our trips to Australia and maybe our lack of in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, man, how you been, man? Good, man. Nothing, uh, nothing too crazy, which is good. I just spent a week down in southwest Colorado. I actually have some thoughts on that relative to, to trips and things. But, uh, yeah, man, all good. Just came back by vacation. and uh, Nice. Nice. Recharged and all that. It really does feel, uh, feel good to, you know, I don't know about you, but like all this COVID shit and all, you know, stresses of the world at the current time, it was nice to, uh, at least for me to unplug, to not be worrying about taking somebody's temperature, arguing with somebody about (laughs) a mask, uh, you know, (laughs) getting yelled at because we don't have no chicken breast in stock or, you know, (laughs) whatever the case would be. So. Why don't you have this imported prosciutto that you know that I like? Yeah. Oh, okay. Where's my Tim Tams? <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, at least do you have toilet paper at this point? No. I mean, we have some, but it's still like right. out of all the aisles in our store, it's like the one aisle that's consistently empty is that aisle, the, the paper towels. And I'm like, what's going on? The, no paper production or what? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it seems like the toilet paper has bounced back, but man, bleach wipes are still yeah like just in the normal. I suppose, especially if people were using them for their collections and stuff. This is yeah. I know you guys talked about that before, but there are some sort of hiccups associated with some of this stuff, right? Paper towels if you're doing babies on them and all that stuff. Yeah, 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 for sure. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, um, I, I, I think. I don't know. I don't know what's going on with this diamond python. As far as you bring up babies uh, with this diamond python, but you know, still she's still in her nest box. Um, I still have the pair together, which crazy enough, they're both in the nest box. So kind of like <laughs> let right them alone and do their thing for a little bit. And um, uh, but uh, everything else is hatched out. Man, the the uh, IJs. I can call that because you're here. I can call them that. You know, yeah. I don't have to uh, <laughs> worry about what I'm <laughs> censor yourself. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, I got a lot of positive feedback about your in-depth uh, description of, uh, of uh, the whole uh, right name of uh, Maria Spilota Harrisona. You know. Um. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even touch that part of it, man. I, I don't. <laughs> yeah, I don't gonna, want to get anywhere near that. But gonna, yeah, we'll wait till the new Carpet Python book comes out to. Uh, yeah. To, to or Scott's, uh, you know, between Scott and what uh, Nick and Justin and warner doing yeah i think between those two things it's it's probably the right right way but i you know so yeah i had a i you know this was one of the things that i was going to talk with you and like uh the gelatins right so yeah at this point i mean you're going to be here in in, a, in about a month from now so i figured you can uh, just give the stamp of approval the hand-picked <laughs> ones and you can check out the newer ones so you can uh you know 
check out what you want. But what I found odd is like last year, I got tons of stripes, like those, uh, you know, uh, thin black stripes, yeah. the pinstripes or whatever. This year, um, it's more of like a bald back, but like a lot of uh, tipping, which huh. is weird. It's just crazy how different the babies look from the same parents, which, you know, that's sort of the, um, I don't know, it's sort of the page I'm at, I guess, in my life as a reptile keeper, breeder, whatever you want to say. It's, it's, that seems like the stuff that sort of like fascinates me at the moment as opposed to uh, an albino, super zebra, jag, granite, caramel, hypo. <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, um, just that natural yeah, variety. Um, but, uh, but yeah. I think that's awesome. You know, and I suppose it's still within sort of the, the range of phenotype, right? As I know we had talked about this yeah. before, I think on the show, is that the, I do think the gelatin one is the one that to me is the most most legitimate in terms of what we have here in the U.S. actually being tied to a, a phenotype because we've seen them, right? And if all the ones, all the things that get presented as that that lineage are, you can find wild snakes that look like that. Right. Certainly there are ones there that don't. <laughs> Heck, we yeah. found a citrus tiger, man, you know? But yeah. uh, <laughs> so it just speaks to the variability there. But as long as you're working with things that then, yeah, there's some, there's certainly some validity to it based on what we're seeing. And I, I'm hundred percent with you that seeing that differentiation is super cool, especially once it's not the first time anyone's seen that combination that you're talking about. It's like, okay, you just sort of start making more of them or, or you're just, you've seen Ollie or Paul or Nick or whomever, right. Has, has made a certain thing. And then you're just trying to make one for yourself and it's not as exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's it's like um you know, it, it, with this project in particular, at least with being in the states, I imported mine from Paul Harris in the UK and uh you know, I think there's a I don't I don't even know how many people at this point. There's only probably a handful of people working with the with gelatins, I would think, which kind of surprises me, you know. I I I thought for sure that would be you know, the one look, I, I can see why maybe people aren't as excited about Palmerson's. I mean, to me, I think they're beautiful. The black they're, of a Palmerson is just nuts. But, yeah. um, you know, I can see why people maybe will be like, you know, because it's not screaming yellow. It's more of a gold type of look. So, you know, maybe they're uh, yeah, more into that yellow, which is beautiful, you know. But, like, I thought for sure, like, with, you know, the gelatins, people would be like, oh, black and white jungle, you know. But, uh <laughs> Hey man, whatever. Teach their own. That's cool. But uh, I think I think I think some people are missing out, and 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 maybe it's one of those things where you have to uh, you know grow some up and and put them out there, and then all of a sudden it'll be one of those things that uh, you know people are sleeping on until they see uh, see what the possibilities are. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm really think, excited about that project. I think too, though, the the part that we can't underestimate is just having been there ourselves and found snakes there that it that makes them inherently more special to us you know and chris as well than it than it does to anyone else you know like yeah forever they'll be more special to us than they will be to someone who hasn't seen or who hasn't been there to see things that look like those 
I think, uh, at least for me, you probably feel the same way. I, I don't know if you've ever seen a wild python before that. I can't remember. I think that was the first time. And like, not only was yeah, not only was it a wild python, just python in general, seen in the wild. It was a carpet python, and in specifically yeah. this locality. So it's like, oh yeah, this is, you know, this is hundred percent. Cool. Yeah. So I get where you're coming from with that for sure. So maybe you know, it's just my. Uh, biased opinion about them but uh, i don't know man. i mean they're they're they to me the cool bit is they're definitely different yes. you know it's not like oh i don't see what you're talking about anyone would have to an informed um, uh, consumer i guess for want of a better word would have to admit like oh okay they definitely have a, a look to them they look they certainly look different um yeah and again, they, they look different in a way that we see in wild snakes from that area, whether it's ones that we saw with the, the railroad tracks or um, ones you can pull up on iNaturalist that are squashed on the road that look just like the color of Paul's original stuff. Right. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, well, there's some, they don't all look like that, obviously. We know that because sure. we found one that didn't, that but did. <laughs> that look, you know, that look is there and probably just working within a narrower band, you know, that narrow, narrower phenotype, band phenotype in terms of what we have and what exists then. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, um, really this season, I didn't really hatch out all that many morphs really. Um, so which is, you know, I hatched out the red stuff and, um, that was cool. Um, but uh, most of the other stuff was just either just normal. Now, I, I don't know um, if this is just lucky luck of the season or whatever, but um, getting babies to go, super easy, man. I don't know if the morphs, like, you know, I, you know how much struggle I had with getting albino crosses. Oh, yeah. Go, man, you know, I mean, I was trying every trick in a book. Brain pinks, heads of pinks, <laughs> tails, throw them in a bag. <laughs> You know, all kinds of shit. Live hoppers, yeah, you know, all right. you know, nothing took. Um, but with these, it was just they shed and right from the gate, just pounding food, you know. So, uh, yeah. And it was kind of weird. Um, I know we talked about this. I thought this would be something maybe cool to talk about on the air. Is, uh, just your, I know you had sort of an in-depth uh, thought uh, when it comes to this. But, um, you know, with the Tiger Jags, it's weird um, that it seems that, uh, you know, a big percentage of the clutch was, was Jags um, as right. opposed to getting a mix. Now, again, it could just be, you know, next year I could do the same pair and get all, you know, all normals, right. <laughs> no Jags, you know, sure. I, I, I get how that happens. But, um, and the other part of it is, is that, um, the, 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 which, which I find interesting is like, uh, have bred, having bred been having bred a bunch of, of Jags and Jag combos for some reason, the tiger Jag doesn't seem now, let me, let me, uh, put a, <laughs> put a pin right here. I am yeah. in no way saying that they do not have neurological problems. Every Jag has neurological issues. Period. So there's, 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 it's not like I'm saying that they don't. I just don't see it as um, prominent um, from the gate sure. uh, with, with tiger jags. And um, even my adult tiger jag that I have um, doesn't seem to be, for lack of a better word, wonky, I guess. And, uh, 
you know, right. when I look at the albino jag, I mean, you know, that's the one snake that when I, you know, really put me in the direction of sort of phasing myself out of jag projects, if you will, you know, because it's just like, man, you know, you. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not against it. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not saying it any, I, I think you had this, you can tell your story of how you had this with, uh, you had this with mountain king snakes. I think you, you said before. With right? Coxa. Yeah. Oh, Coxa. Yeah. Asian nuts. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's just one of those things like you, you kind of have to take a step back and say, what, what am I doing here, man? I, I don't think they should be banned or outlawed or anything. They eat, they breed. I haven't had, you know, issues with that as far as it goes. I think it's just my personal feeling that, it's just sad to me. <laughs> you know what I mean? I feel yeah, bad. It like, is, I, don't, yeah. I don't think that there's anything wrong with it. I just feel like, um, I just feel, I feel like, yeah, there's no other word. Just sad about it. Like, oh man, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. You know? No, I, I I'm with you a hundred percent. You've thrown out like three giant topics. So <laughs> yeah, I was I just, <laughs> just, I was, I was taking a little note to make sure that we did put a pin and put a pin and all that stuff. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Do you want where do you where do you want to start first? Because I have, you know, oh, as ever, I have thoughts about everything. So yeah, wherever you want, uh, dive in. Do like I did. Just throw out a whole bunch of different shit. You know? Right, a whole bunch of giant topics. The the first thing that I guess we'll just stay where stay where we are in terms of the um, sort of the deleterious the physical implications of different mutations and things. Generally speaking, especially at this point, yeah, I've been through. Um, liking morphs and now I, I sort of it's certainly not the principal driving factor for me at this point but I, I understand the the interest but I can say in all honesty that I've never been if there's ever been a clear physical drawback to a given mutation or appearance or whatever that that has always ruined it for me mm -hmm. um that I've never it's just never been my thing even going back to I don't remember if it was the last, oh, maybe it was when we were talking about the, the IJ thing a handful of weeks ago is that, you know, you said, Oh, reptilicus, you know, and all that. And I remember being vending at Daytona in 2003 and 2004, I guess it was of four, either Oh three or Oh four that I was a row away from Will uh, and seeing all the Jags and stuff. And it, despite liking pythons and Australian pythons and carpets, that it never had an appeal to me. I don't. I don't think I've ever had one. I can't think of one that I've ever had, and it, it it just didn't. Even when it was big bucks and it was the the coolest thing that there could be, mm -hmm. it just wasn't. Didn't hold an appeal to me. Um, which is, I get it. I understand the the weird dichotomy, right? And even people who generally speaking, say, oh, I'm, I'm not into morphs, they still want to have spectacularly beautiful animals, right? That's all. Yeah. And it's it's sort of, a, it, there's a little bit of a disconnect on that because you say, okay, well, I, I get that it's, now we're maybe we're just talking about polygenic inheritance to have, you still want to have the best looking, whatever it is. Sure. Um, yeah. and, and I think it's a bit of a fiction when people, present saying, oh, well, I have no interest in that, but simultaneously they do want to have the, the prettiest ones that they possibly can. Um, but yeah, like what you said, I, I saw that same issue in Porphyracia coxi, the Red Mountain Racers from Thailand, northern Thailand. Mm -hmm. And 
it seemed to probably be associated with sort of the missing pattern, which which would make sense because he, so the missing pattern ones typically we're talking about a an orange to red snake that then has two racing stripes that go down it. Mm-hmm. One of the original um, those seem to not do particularly well as wild caughts like most Asian rats. Um, but one of the founding animals in that group, there's a photo in an article from uh, Klaus Schultz when the project was first getting started in the mid to late 90s that includes photos of the wild ones. And you can see that there is one that has that look, that it's missing it's missing pattern entirely on the first maybe fifth or sixth of the from the base of the neck to the, you know, a fifth or a sixth of the way down. And then the stripes themselves are greatly reduced. You know, their width is greatly reduced. And it's one of those things that I think might actually, as Nick always says, oh, it's always the, we're seeing the same traits just expressed differently because they're being put onto a different phenotype. Mm -hmm. And I do think it's entirely possible that that actually, and it seems to be inherited as, well, that seems to be inherited as at least incomplete dominant. Um, I don't think any, I don't know of anyone who's really nailed down and line bred that stuff to prove um, whether it's dominant or incomplete dominant, whether there's a lethal super that would you know, illustrate that they are the same thing, mm-hmm. but certainly it, it seems similar and it has similar effect, right? So it's reducing, reducing the black pigment, um, it's different among different expressed differently. Each one is unique to themselves mm-hmm. and th- they are wonky, you know, <laughs> they'll turn themselves over and they'll ride up the side of a, a tub or whatever. And then they'll flip over and won't write themselves. And I've never seen that in other coxi or in any of the other porphyracea subspecies. So mm-hmm. it does seem like it's tied to tied to that look um, with those the gene pool is so much more, I mean, it's orders of magnitude smaller than what we're talking about with carpets and stuff so that we don't, uh, it might be just sort of, I don't know that we have a great enough selection to speak definitively on it, but it could be a situation where it's, is this inbreeding depression or is it tied to a single gene that is also causing this pattern look or, or what, it, what is going on? But, and it is, it is a huge bummer because they are beautiful. Yeah. Um, and not all of them are terrible. You know, it's, again, similar to Jag thing where it's like you have some that seem fine and they, mm-hmm. they're beautiful and seem fine. Um, and then you have others that are just just a train wreck. And it it did. I, I ultimately got out of all of them because I just couldn't couldn't do it. Yeah, this <clears throat> this season in particular, like the, the red Jags that I hatched out are they're orange, man. I mean, they're unbelievably beautiful snakes you know um i know the one that owen picked up um you know um there's uh right i heard you guys talking about that on the show last week yeah yeah you know it's um it's really nice uh but uh you know again i i just want you know i want everybody to to understand i'm I'm not anti at all you know i'm not anti-morph at all i i I understand and and so i have i think maybe it's just a progression as a keeper you know i mean maybe You've been there, you've done that, and now it's time to do something different, you know, um, that kind of deal. Um, maybe it's a little bit of uh, Keith's influence on me, uh, right. all the time that we spent with him, like what he's done with, uh, you know, short tail pythons and, um, you know, the different lines that he's brought about. I mean, you know, you think of that extreme stuff that Matt's working with and 
Yeah. yeah, he's making insane. Uh, he had just thrown up something, and the stuff he's making at this point is so insane. But it is there's clearly so it's clearly polygenic in in terms of the expression of all those different things, and clearly some some are getting larger doses. You know, whether larger doses or they're just those genes are aligning to produce insane phenotypes. All those ones that he just posted that have those thick stripes and then they've got the inclusions in the middle. Those are the things that I wanted to see and not necessarily Borneo's. I didn't, it shocks me that sort of that's the presentation or that you're getting that presentation out of Borneo's that typically, typically historically were tri-striped if anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you would see wild blood pythons, Bronger's mine that looked, that had that same look. And I was like, man, these are, <laughs> I saw that picture and that, that blew me away. That was, I wouldn't have imagined that was possible in Borneo's and especially as an expression of at one point in my life, the ideal blood pipe in terms of what that stripe looks like. Yeah. I know we've talked about this in the past, but you know, one of the things that you've always said is like, you know, you know, short, especially I would say, I guess, blood pythons in particular, just the different phenotypes alone, just like you talk about dinker projects. I mean, the sky's the limit <laughs> yeah, that kind of stuff, you know? I mean, I remember you flipping through pictures on your phone and just saying like, look at this, look at this stripe, look at this, you know, color, this, you know, all these different uh, looks that you, you know, uh, like, yeah, I, I think part of it, and maybe it's the same thing that we see with ball pythons is it's an expression of their wild uh, lifestyle, right? That there mm-hmm. it, it's, um, they're maybe not as susceptible to predation based on their lifestyle or the way that they camouflage. So it doesn't matter as much what they look like. So you can get, you know, snakes that grow up albinos that, that grow to full size in the wild and, you know, aren't eaten. Whereas if you had a, even a corn snake, right, a diurnal North American colubrid, mm-hmm. it's probably far more likely to get eaten by something right. than, than a blood python that is equally unusually colored right 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 yeah that makes sense yeah especially um i don't i don't know the channel some indonesian channel but uh matt sort of turned me on to it but uh it's basically a guy going out and finding wild short tail pythons and uh yeah man it's it's nuts they're like digging them out of the ground and shit you know (laughs) what i mean so like i don't know people have this argument about ball pythons being in trees and stuff I'm pretty right. rest assured. Uh, I would I would bet my paycheck that uh, you're not going to find a short tail in a tree. I think just yeah. their body <laughs> composition itself just doesn't lend to to that kind of. Um, I, I think they really are living in holes <laughs> in the dirt, yeah. you know, or under a lot of under palm leaf front litter or, or palm something. front. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, I mean, put it this way: to exactly to the point you're making, I've seen plenty of ball pythons in captivity that are given the opportunity to climb that yeah. climb. I've right. yet to see and are perched sort of at the top of the enclosure or whatever, kind of jammed in at the top of the enclosure. Right. I've never seen anything in the short tail, you know, blood short tail complex that uh doing that same thing never (laughs) and i think uh, yeah i know right i've never seen it either and i think that's what makes the you know again it goes back to everybody trying to lump everything into one box you know um you have to do this or you're a bad keeper you have to do you know uh, if you don't keep it in this kind of cage or you know if you're not providing uh you know 
trees for right. it to climb on for enrichment and all this stuff. It's like, mm, this is a species where I, I, I think, I think racks are probably <laughs> the best for the species long term. You know what I mean? Like, I, I, you know, just from seeing them in the wild, you, you get a whole different, uh, different view of that. And I'm sure you could keep it in the cages. I know people that have, but yeah i mean i think the other bit of that too right what you were as you were talking through it that jumped out to me the other thing is in the under the palm fronds under the leaf litter wherever they're at in proximity to the ground is going to be much more temperature stable which then gets to sort of the the downside of short blood short tail complex stuff right (laughs) that you know they they come from an area that probably is really temperature stable not only the general environment but their specific um, habitat within that general area like there's a reason that they more than anything do so well kind of at that constant 78 to 82 sort of range those are really well situated to deal with that mm-hmm. other stuff can you know can totally tolerate and do great with it but and then you have other things that kind of don't but on the other hand right uh, you have stuff that can tolerate it but can do fine carpets and stuff can do fine with variants and utilize hot spots and stuff once they're over kind of old juvie you know whether it's a year or two years old or whatever that complex really doesn't. They, they do really well if you do that. And if you don't, you're probably going to eventually run into some problems. Yeah, that was my struggle with keeping them. You know, we've, we've talked about this before, but, you know, um, just because the majority of my collection is, you know, carpets or species that are from the same area. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm used to temperature fluctuations in my room. You know, I mean, it could go down to 70 degrees at night and wouldn't bat an eye. You know, I mean, I think right now in the diamond python room, it's probably maybe 70, it's 72 degrees. So, you know, and we're not even that, I mean, it's just starting to, the sun's just starting to go down. So, uh, I would say it probably gets into 67, you know, I'm, <laughs> I like things yeah. cold when I sleep, you know, <laughs> sure. I'm but, with you. Uh, uh, no heat on the, uh, on the, on them at night. And I, I don't, I don't offer any kind of heat. So, uh, yeah. So you do that with a short tail though, you're going to run into trouble. <laughs> right. And as I say, when they're, when they're small, for whatever reason they seem, and I don't know whether it's, well, they're small enough to completely fit onto sort of that temperature stable, um, you know, basking area or whatever it would be. Right. But probably under tank in this in this context. But um, I don't know if it's that or if they're just somehow more sturdy. And I do, I, man, the interesting bit of all the, not to get negative, but all the NIDO stuff is I, I believe that they have, found blood quote blood python nidovirus right Mm -hmm. or identified that Mm -hmm. and i know from the 90s there were certainly it wasn't identified as that that being the root cause but in terms of seeing very strange respiratory viruses that are respiratory infections that would um, kind of linger for a long time or would once, you know, an animal would have it and then it would ostensibly be fine. You treat it, it would ostensibly be fine. And then the very next year it would come right back. And it's, it kind of was perceived as an influence of the conditions, right? A response to temperature variation and stuff. And it might have been a stressor that, were, that was prompting that, 
but those could very easily have been, you know, nidovirus positive blood pythons. That then that that now we kind of have, you know, the insight to the insight to understand what was really going on there. There was one in particular, a guy who works at the zoo had had one that ultimately had had this sort of classic perpetual respiratory that then would go away and then it would have it again. Ultimately it died they cut it open and what it's larger lung was just entirely full of mucus and fluid, despite being at that point, a sense not actually showing symptoms. And this was an animal that had gone uh, through that cycle of being sick and being treated and appearing fine four or five times over, over the course of four or five years. Wow. And it was like, what the heck is that? And I would, I would bet a healthy sum that that's what that was. Oh wow! Yeah, probably. You're probably right. You know, they they didn't they uh, sort of um, sort of say that um, uh, some of the issues that you had with uh, Burmese pythons were uh, were yeah. were maybe linked to that as well. You know, I mean, they were notorious. I remember working with berms, especially for whatever reason. I don't know why green berms seem to be. Uh, yeah, which odd. makes you wonder. It, well, it, it it makes you wonder what else is is we're seeing some of the things, right? So there's a obviously there's a mutation on that chromosome that's causing the animal to have the phenotype that it does. But a lot of the time we don't have clear visibility into the other things that are happening. I know when Ben would come on the show, he'd talk about you know looking at it in ranched animals and things and saying, oh, well, it turns out that actually, I forget what it was exactly, but it was something like survivability or yield from cattle was associated with bull scrotum size. Like it wasn't, you were looking at something you were able to look at and trace some other characteristic that wasn't actually what you were interested in, but that Mm -hmm. defined the trait that you were, or the, the phenotype that you were interested in. And in the same way, there can be stuff that sort of hidden negatives, right? In the same way, there could, could be something either with that mutation itself or sharing the, the chromosome with that mutation and rarely getting crossed over that causes them to be more susceptible to lung problems. That's entirely possible. Sure. Well, I'm going to swing it back around and go full circle, which is kind of the, you had, um, we, we were talking right. about the <laughs> we talked about thing. The, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that does bring us back very neatly. The, um, so the, the thought process, and we see this more typically in other things that have both more mutations that people are trying to combine mm-hmm. and in things that, well, it wouldn't be right to say that have more offspring, but maybe it, people are producing more. Mm-hmm. So like leopard geckos, right? There's, mm-hmm. It's, and I know even in, in blood pythons, this is, this is slightly different, but you, you do see an instance, I believe, at least this was true 10 years ago when they were kind of the really hot thing with the matrix and ivory stuff, that ivories were harder to make than they should have been relative to to what you would expect. Mm -hmm. And similarly with leopard geckos, in terms of combining stuff, there have been instances where they're taking two genes that act as simple recessive. So theoretically you should be able to one in 16, right. Should make the combination you're looking for, but it'll take 300 or 400 babies 
to produce it. Um, and what that probably means is that those genes are on the same chromosome close together so that typically, right, it's not when you're recombining um, at fertilization, when you're recombining uh, to develop an embryo, mm -hmm. it's not... Um, it's not going on a gene by gene level, right? They're kind of coming, coming in pieces, and there is gene recombination and things that'll add variability to this question. But the, the, sort of the the big picture point would be when we see weird stuff like that, there are actually, you know, it's the science versus magic. Like <laughs> if you you can, and I know heck, right? It, it jumps to the the banana ball python thing. Right. Right, where it was everyone, you know, no, they're all lying that they only make females. It's they must be lying. And it's right. like okay, now I understand because it's always so much um negativity and marketing and, and BS and whatever. I understand why you could be predisposed to think that, mm -hmm. but let's assume for a second that they're actually telling the truth. Is there a way that this could be the case where what we're seeing could actually be explained scientifically? And it turns out with that very clearly that the answer is yes. <laughs> they weren't right. lying. It's true. You know, right. it's like, okay, it, it's very difficult to make a, uh, what? It was difficult to make males. Male. But then once you made a male, it essentially would only make males unless now you're pairing them to a female that has the same trait, which suggests that it's on the sex chromosome and, you know, that that's, that's why this is happening. So that when then you're getting what males are making to have their, that expression and the, the females from a quote male maker banana, right. That they would always be normal unless you were breeding it to another banana or whatever other, presumably they're combining it with yet more mutations or whatever. So right. it, it would be then a normal or that other, other appearance or whatever, possibly at a normal rate because it's not on a sex chromosome. So, um, I think it's entirely possible that you're, in terms of the, the striping effect and the, the jaguar effect, we know the striping is polygenic, right? But yeah. maybe one of those principal genes for that appearance is on the same chromosome as the jaguar gene. And so you're, you're seeing a disproportionate appearance of jaguars that are striped. Right. Which makes sense. Or a, or a higher ratio of jaguar, you know, or, or whatever. any of these things, it's like, well, once your sample size gets big enough, there's probably something going on. You know, like, right. okay, we keep seeing this weird thing happen, and we've seen it across a large enough sample to feel pretty confident it's not magic. Like, what, what, what's causing this? Right. Yeah, like, I just think of, uh, and again, you know, my sample size isn't huge, but I've produced quite a number of Jags and different Jag combinations um, over the years. And, um, yeah, it's 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 just seemed odd to me, just sort of, like, so much that I would note that, that it stood out to me, you know. Um, that, right. And, and it's been so long since, um, which is so weird about the reptile hobby. It's so weird how, how it works with, you know, one day this combination is just the killer, you know, and it's just amazing and everybody wants it and everybody wants to get involved. Oh, you know, running up at the doors, throwing money at, you know, how can I get in on this project? And, and, um, and then a couple of years, nobody even thinks twice about it, you know, like <laughs> I'm thinking there and I was thinking, I was talking to somebody about the granites, right. You know, we're talking about granites and stuff and it, it, you know, um, 
somebody was talking about selective breeding uh, granites, and I was like, well, I said, there, I only know of one person that really did it, and, um, you know, that was the Viking Reptilia was sort of working on refining that uh, for that gene, but, um, and he made some amazing ones, you know, and at the time, yeah. um, you know, there was a lot of issues with that, uh, with that gene just because of, of inbreeding. Um, right. And uh, it's sort of been worked on to sort I, I guess it just goes back to the idea of the, um, you know, that instant gratification type of deal, um, maybe, perhaps, um, that, you know, people want to see those instant type of results. And, you know, a project like that, outcrossing and crossing it back, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, 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 that's a 10-year project. Um, right, that's a ton a, of time. To get yeah. a visual result, you know. And, um, yeah. Yeah, it's just kind of a shame that those kind of things went by the wayside and um, just trying to throw as many combinations of, of a gene as you can. And I know it's I know it sounds like I'm poo-pooing morphs this episode, but uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm really not. Um, I just it's just I don't know. It's just weird how that works in our brains, how it's like, you know, it's the hottest thing. And then like three years from now, nobody's going to give a shit about it. And it's I mean, you see that with species, too, but um it really seems to have an effect in the morph type of thing. And I think it goes back to what, you know, my thought as a, as a, as a breeder or what is going to be my contribution to the hobby or something like that. And I think about like, you know, if you really want to sort of stand out as an individual, I mean, it's, it's sort of, you sort of highlighted it uh, at the, at the beginning of our talk here is like, uh, you know, anybody can throw, two, three, four, five genes together and produce the same type of, of, of thing. You know, some are obviously going to be uh, nicer than others, um, but um, sure. for the most part, it's going to be the same thing, you know, as opposed to working with something that, you know, um, having a vision for where you want to go with, you know, uh, I like this banding or I like this striping or I like this blushing or whatever the case would be. And you sort of like, hey, I wonder if I can refine that or... Um, you know, and man, I, I imagine that just the payoff of that, it's gotta be awesome, you know, because you're sort of the yeah. only one with that. Right. hundred <laughs> percent, you know? So, I mean, it's sort of, it's the, the Matt stuff where, you know, right back to that, where Perfect. we just say, okay, well, you have to get it from him. Like you, even if it's just sort of ingredients and then you're willing to invest your own 10 years or whatever. Yeah. 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 I mean, or at least you think you are, whether that, you know, for the most part, people, again, are overly optimistic about, they undervalue the time other people put into things and overestimate their own willingness to do that. Yeah, I remember in, uh, you know, in our early conversations a long time ago, it was just like, you know, I would be talking to you about just different, uh, you know, just different projects that I want to do or whatever, and, you know, uh, it would be sort of like, oh, that's a waste of time when I would talk to other people. But um, I think, it, you know, that's sort of where I, I stumble upon like all the short tail. You're like, hey, man, check this out. You know, I had all these projects that, you know, could have could have went somewhere or did something with, um, you know. But Right. And I mean, vision, those. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a vision to do your own thing, which is harder. And I mean. Heck, man, everyone likes the gratification of everyone if it's the approved project, right? Then, mm -hmm. then you know there will be a certain number of kudos, if only because all the people who are similarly in that project 
want uh, wanted to do well, right, for their own self-interest. So sure. they'll yeah. they'll pump up what oh Eric made you know X Y combination. I'm hoping to make that too. I want to give the impression that I think it's the bee's knees, so that there's more of a market for me when I when I do that. Or people will just similarly think maybe he'll he'll like my post as much. You know, he'll <laughs> think it's just as you know everyone will think I'm the cool guy too for having it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's just weird how our brains work when it comes to that. You know, I think, I think for me, I, I, if I'm if I'm reflecting on it and really trying to pinpoint a time where I sort of changed my mindset is probably our trips to Australia, man. I mean, I was I'm working on a on sort of a blog type of post that's um, you know I'm going through my pictures of Australia slowly but surely, and this is our first trip that I'm actually going through the pictures. <laughs> right. You know what I mean, like. You know, I've seen I know, like man. four, uh, you know, and I imagine you're in the same boat from the last trip with all the pictures you took. I mean, yeah. just at the OP, it was, uh, <laughs> there was what? How many yeah. pictures did you take of that? It was like 600. Well, I mean, <laughs> I guess the lesson I learned, right, you know, some, and I know you've had the same experience when we do, a, you know, a photo shoot, right? When you put something in the in the box and you're trying to take a picture, is it's, yeah. oh, take 10 or 15 shots hoping one of them will work out well when it's an op then five, you know 10 or 15 becomes 600 and it, it's it's good that there was because there's like i don't know there's 10 pictures that i like that are kind of different you know okay this is useful for this or shows this versus that but yeah. it's like dude that would i can't imagine anything more crushing than than not getting that picture that picture i mean it would be Oh my God! I was so happy you had that, uh, you know, that new camera with that super yeah, zoom, man. I'm like, oh, thank God he got that camera, man. Or we would be screwed yeah. <laughs> or climbing like a this, tree. Okay. <laughs> the, the, yeah. Right. Well, the thing, yeah, it paid its, it paid for itself with that. It was one of those like, okay, this worked out. <laughs> Don't get me wrong, I love some of the monitor shots and stuff. The, you know. Monitor shots we'd gotten there too that wouldn't be wouldn't have been accessible with what I had before. The first trip, Chris had his paparazzi camera and <laughs> yeah. that it was kind of like okay, well we can rely on Chris and but we had that uh, Scolaris, that spotted tree monitor that we had saw the scene at Lake Berene. Yeah, that if Chris didn't if Chris wasn't there with that camera, and this was sort of the realization is okay, well Chris isn't coming on the trip. And we had a situation where it was like we wouldn't have had a useful, functional picture of that animal if Chris hadn't been there with that camera. Okay, he's not coming. I need to come up with yeah, a, a way to try and B. try and do that, you know. Yeah. And then, yeah, as you say, it it paid off in spades. Yes. Yeah, so, I do. Uh, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna. I got you know all these notes. You just keep tossing out all this great stuff. Man. <laughs> so let's put a pin in this. I'm, I'm with Jan. Okay. Um, but uh, out of the granite discussion, it goes back to what we were just talking about beforehand, where clearly with that the the deleterious genes, right, causing them to not have eyeballs and actually have neuro stuff themselves and whatever when they were being super inbred, mm -hmm. obviously that gene could be separated from those other presumably polygenic traits that were causing those sort of physiological problems, right? Yeah. So that was an instance where we're not talking about something that's intrinsically tied to it, which can, in the JAG context, probably is a reflection of the mechanisms of the genes, which actually is its own pin topic that we have here um but it 
you know, in that it's actually the way the gene is expressed is causing the problem or alternatively something that's close by. So they often travel together, but theoretically could be separated. In the granite context, obviously those problems were associated with things that could be pulled apart, you know, which is, which speaks, it's the opposite perspective of the same issue. Yeah. And it's, um, you know, with the granite in particular, um, you have the uh, ability to uh, to work with wild or captive uh, hatched, um, you know, unrelated animals, um, as opposed to with Australian stuff. You know, you're you're, you're only limited to a certain amount of uh, with with genes. I think I think it was the way it was discovered. I remember talking to Nick about this early on when I was getting into uh, carpet morphs and stuff. Is that um, when they when Paul first started doing the um, the different combos of granites, you know, caramel granite, granite jags, exanic granites, all that kind of stuff. Um, right. There was. It seemed like the granites were, um, you know, um, better. They right. they, they they didn't physiologically the stronger and stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So in a way, in that in that way, it, it's good that you know somebody was crossing that stuff. You know, because right. I don't know if you would have known that uh, necessarily from that quickly. I guess is what sure. I'm saying. Um, that would cause somebody to say, "Okay, I'm going to invest the next ten years of my life in this project to hopefully get a better result." Right. And then you know, at the end of ten years, you you got shit. You kind of might be a little disappointed, you know, but, um, well, even the history of that project, right. In terms of popularity and st commercial popularity and stuff kind of speaks to that. There's, there was a, a lull period. Mm -hmm. yeah. Maybe even today they're still sort of hindered, hindered by that, uh, decline in popularity, not because people don't, you know, think they're not going to have eyeballs or whatever, but just, it sort of took the steam out, you know, took the, yep. the steam out of that, um, Sure. train so yeah. to speak yeah yeah um but uh but oh well i was saying about um you know changing changing me when going to australia was sort of uh in the, the post i'm sort of working on as i'm going through the pictures um we uh we came across a, a coastal carpet in um the uh in brisbane and um you know obviously Scott found it for us. Uh, he wanted to make sure that uh, he he nailed right. the coastal carpet, uh, so we could show to OMAC uh, that uh, he should have went on right. the trip. Oh but, my gosh. Uh, <laughs> but I, I I had taken a picture and a video of that snake. Now, obviously, we didn't find that snake in the tree; it was on the ground. Um, but uh, we sort of uh, put the snake. it magically climbed. Man, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it was it was it was there, and it just disappeared. In the mid, like the one section of the snake just disappeared, and it started me thinking, uh, you know, like it, I guess, amazing me, amazes it amazes me that, um, you know, these carpet pythons have all these different phenotypes that um, are suited for their environment. They just just disappear, and when you kind of look at them out of that context, you don't necessarily see that, but. You know, when you're looking at a, you know, and the other one, um, I think it was on um, Nick Mutton's Herpeton talks, and um, okay. he had a picture, and it might be Casey's picture. I'm not 100, percent but anyway, there's a picture a of, uh, of a bread lie, or Bradley. I should start saying it right. right? <laughs> Bradley, um, is uh, shelved Hi, in. Hi, Scott. <laughs> How are you? Scott will be happy. Here. I'm making you proud, Scott. Um, anyway, it was shelved in a rock. 
And you can, you know, it's it's in between these rock crevices, and you can see how it just sort of like it's, you know, like if you look at if you look at that species, um, you wonder why their tail is different than you know what right. I mean. Sometimes it's darker, sometimes it's you know. But when you look at it and the way that it was laying, that tail is like smack up against the front of it, so that's what yeah. you're sort of seeing, and it sort of just disappears. And I'm just like, wow. That's crazy that like these these snakes have developed, which you see all the time in in all different, even snakes in North America. They come from different areas. They sure. they they show different phenotypes, you know, and um, they're just made to fit into their environment and sort of disappear. Which um, I don't know. That just really got me excited about you know just wild type um, carpet yeah. ones, you know, and that variation. I mean, heck. Part of what it suggests, too, is just as you're talking, it jumps to me that, like, probably the natural variability of carpets makes them so much more adaptable to so such a uh, variety of habitats and uh, across a wider range, right? Because, sure. because a given clutch, we always kind of, especially in the captive context, think of things as individuals, but in reality, like, we should be thinking in, on the clutch or population level, and if you have this variable clutch, you're more likely to have one that can grow up to succeed because it fits with the particular environment that it's in, which may be the same or maybe slightly different, you know, than the natural home range of the parents and that sort of stuff. So I'm just thinking of it in the in our coastal context. Well, we saw this one that then blended in perfectly, you know, that, that part of it disappears, right? Right. That, well, maybe not all of its clutchmates did the same. Maybe there's a reason we're not seeing its clutchmates. We're seeing this one is because this look it was the perfect combo. Right. You know, enough survive to promote that variance, and it's things that then all look more or less the same that, generally speaking, have tighter ranges. Right. Because they're less adaptable to varying conditions. Yeah. And I think that even just speaks to the whole coastal jungle carpet thing. I mean, when you're all of a sudden in a rainforest um, and, you know, that specific look of, you know, yellow and black, if you will, not that all jungles are yellow and black in the wild or gold and black or whatever. Brown and gold or whatever it might be. Sure. It's just uh, disappears into that environment um, as opposed to, you know, in the environment we sort of found the coastal carpet in, you know, or even the Darwin carpet. I mean, um, sure. Yeah, I mean, that blends in perfectly, you know, these half-dying leaves, you know, coming off the dry and the buildup and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. That orange, you know, makes a ton of sense, that sort of purplish orange. Yeah. Fits in perfectly with that sort of the brown. And the other bit of this, right, that we naturally have to acknowledge is that we're seeing them. This is the effect that they're having on our eyes, the way that our eyes function. That isn't doesn't necessarily, it probably doesn't align with the way their predators that aren't humans, right, or aren't mammals, um, their eyes function. So maybe a bird sees it differently. And that, uh, we get into the neonate chondro conversation, right? But you wouldn't think that this bright yellow baby would, you know, would survive because it's so striking to our eye. It's so eye-catching. But in reality, if you were then uh, a predatory bird that doesn't perceive yellow in the same way, it's that could look dark rather than standing out. And I know that that is the case with 
uh, at least in some of these instances. So we see it as, oh my gosh, there's this glowing yellow thing, but the things that it's really that are really driving selection within that population and then that species, um, they don't perceive it that way. Yeah. But it's really cool when it when it fits to us, you know, whether it's the Darwin, you know, where we look at it and say, wow, that really blends in, or the um, the coastal, you know, same thing. Yeah, hundred percent. For sure. And I think it gets to, um, you know, we're, we're right back on the same spot of saying, okay, well, bloods and short tails that aren't their their habitat preference, right? Their uh, their natural lifestyle makes it so they can have mutations because they, um, you know, they they get covered in tannins and they're sitting under palm fronds anyway, or they're ball pythons that, yeah, go out and explore and will climb and do these things, but. Obviously, we we wouldn't have the mutations that there wouldn't be this super abundance of mutations if there wasn't some something about their biology in the wild that allowed them to look so radically different to so radically different to allow those genes to survive. Particularly, all those incomplete dominant genes, like that means those animals with those phenotypes are are common in in the wild if those if they're surviving. Right. as incomplete dominant traits right. and being found at, at that ratio just because they're not sort of latent heterozygous animals, you know, that appear normal and they're just sort of oh, only one had to survive to, to propagate this look. On those incomplete dominant traits, it means that that's a very survivable look in the wild. Right. Yeah, 100%. I'm curious, um, you know, what, you know, that's sort of like uh, what, what effect did – did that have like taking that trip and seeing those snakes in the wild, whether, you know, obviously, you know, the Owen Pelly, that whole thing is, 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 is in a section all to itself, but like, you know, what effect did that, did that have anything for you as a keeper? I know that, you know, as of a few years ago, you sort of, you know, downsized a bit, sort of uh, set up more naturalistic type stuff so you can actually, go back to the early days of watching your snakes, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's how we sort what of a weird appeared, you know? Yeah. I mean, I remember <laughs> when I was a kid and, you know, my dad brought home this garter snake and I kept it in one of those little critter keeper things. And, you know, I, I just remember staring at that thing for hours and just being amazed, just watching it, you know, even just seeing it, watch it flick its tongue and like, I don't know, man, there was just a, just a, there was a magic about it that, um, you know, I, I think you're, you're constantly trying to, it, it's almost like a drug you're trying to get that yeah. fix. You know what I mean? You're trying to get that fix again and trying to try to try to, how can I get that feeling back? Um, I don't yeah. know, what's your thoughts with, uh, with the trip? And all? Yeah. I mean, I don't at this, as we sit today, I don't have, well, I have some carpet stuff that's going to go to you, but I don't think I have Australian stuff, basically, and kind of haven't throughout the time that we've been going, save maybe an animal or two or whatever. But um, I've always loved Australian pythons. I, Hey, man, I, I was throughout your journey in terms of saying, oh, I want to have be the completest with the pythons or the Australian pythons or all this stuff. I've been very sympathetic as someone who has gone through a period of my life having the exact same goal. Right. You know, saying wanting to have all the pythons that exist or all the nipperous geckos that exist or all the whatever 
right. the comprehensive, have the set, you know, and yeah. I've, I've, so I'm very sympathetic because I, I totally understand that. And I, I think there is a value to it and it is super cool. It's just impractical for mm-hmm. most people, yeah. you know, it kind of with what, um, what that actually means and what that actually looks like and having a regular job and all this sort of stuff. So I, uh, I think the better play, if that's, if you have limited time or resources and whatever expression that is, I, I think the important bit is just finding what you really enjoy for whatever reason. And for me, it's just been that much easier to realize what I enjoy by being able to look at them, <laughs> you know, yeah. having them set up in a way that you could actually look at them and watch them do stuff. And it's like, Oh, okay. Yeah. These are my favorite because they exhibit this behavior, which I really enjoy seeing, you know, and then you kind of have a room where it's, I have some that are nocturnal, some that are diurnal, some that are crepuscular that do these particular things at these particular times of day. And that's just awesome. It's like, Oh, it's this time. That means I can look at these and they'll be doing something cool. You know, oh, it's two hours later or someone, you know, comes to your room and it's okay. Well, they come at five o'clock what's interesting at five o'clock it's these these are doing something at five o'clock right seven o'clock these you know it's just before the lights are going to go out this time of year and so we're going to see these and then oh we'll go out to supper and then come back and hey now the red lights are going let's you know it's going to be x y and z that look awesome and they're doing crazy cool stuff and that's just brings great joy yeah. you know to me yeah you know it's supposed to be uh, for most of us this is a hobby that you're trying to, you know, escape the, the day-to-day bullshit that we all deal with in our lives, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, work, sure. uh, you, know, uh, you know, challenges as far as that goes, or, you know, whatever the stressor would be in your life. We all have them, you know, and, and this is just an uh, escape, if you will, you know. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, <laughs> I, wanna, I, I just want to make a note that, like, it's funny, you know, um, you know, I have all these grandiose ideas of things and like, you know, you, Owen, you just sort of like, uh, <laughs> let me sort of fall on my face myself, you know, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> well, um, I mean, there's some, yeah, I think yeah, yeah, yeah. there's so uh, much to, you know, saying, well, you, all of us, right. There, we, you can have people tell you X, Y, and Z. And it's like, well, until you see that, come to that, we can, the best we can do as, you know, as friends is to say, okay, I, A, I'm recognizing the validity of this and seeing, having seen it in myself and totally understand, we'll say, okay, what can I do to kind of nurture what I think makes sense now? And then you can make that choice for yourself. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, I'm not saying it in a negative way, but it's just like, no, it's, just, I get you. it's, it's funny. funny that for me, like, you know, I think I've said to both you and Owen at times, like, you know, like, why the hell didn't you, I think of like, um, you know, this idea that uh, I think back in the early days and, you know, I remember being at a show and, you know, nobody really like giving carpets a, a second look because of how they are as babies and, they, you know, these drab snakes and, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there kind of like disappointed that, you know, that sure. the people are just walking by and not, not, not taking note of what is here. Like, are you crazy? You know, like, how do you not, <laughs> how do you not see you what not I see, see yeah. what's right here? Like, come on, man, yeah. what is, what is the deal? And, um, 
you know, I, I remember it was me, uh, me and Owen and Jason Balin, and we were, you know, chatting, and we were just talking about like, oh, maybe we should add some stuff to the table that's not necessarily <laughs> something that um, you like. Right. It's just something that you're going to get people sort of, you know, hooked in, so to speak, you know, and uh, maybe they'll 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 you'll gain them as a as as a customer, you know, for future things or whatever, and. Um, Crested geckos where the water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was just a bad call. <laughs> it was just a bad call. I don't know, you know, like, what am I doing? Yeah. You know? Um, well, and even then, they're, they're an awesome animal. Sure. Yeah, but yeah, that yeah, doesn't yeah. mean they're awesome yeah. for yeah. you. Yeah. And it's especially just in your spot of saying, like, well, the last thing you need is something that is you, you see as cool, but is not your favorite thing. You know what I mean? Is that yes. your thing? And yeah. so the time investment is not going to be worth potentially having a few more people stop. And especially in that context where it's like, well, there are people who only do this. So like, why would someone buy my random thing? That's not as cool yeah. within that niche as sure. someone who's, you know, focused on that, who's where that's what they're doing. Especially if you take that at the time, you know, Anthony Caponetto was one of those guys that were doing both, but he was more right. known for his, you know, uh, for his the gecko stuff. geckos sure. you know, and stuff that he was doing there. And um, the carpets were just sort of, he was the opposite of what I was trying to do. You know, I was trying to be focused on carpets and do this as a side hustle type of deal. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it's in a way, um, you know, you've said it a lot. I've heard you say it on other pods and stuff like that. But, um, you know, just the idea of like trying stuff out, you know, and, and, and not being afraid to say, mm, you know, I tried that and that's that's not for me, you know. And then, you know, that's how you learn, I guess, where you're where you're at, you know, what what keeps what keeps you going in the hobby? What what excites you? And like, I think that's that's how you develop that appreciation for what you really do like, you know, um, whether it's a garter yeah. snake or whether it's some, you know, crazy morph of a Python or whether it's whatever, it doesn't matter. Sure. You know? um, yeah. I mean, I, I feel really strongly about that, that people need to, cause I know that it, it can have a negative implication as you are dealing with live animals and stuff. And I, I totally understand and appreciate that. But if you don't, if you don't try, then you won't know that that's that actually have this predilection to this other thing that it's makes a great fit. I, I think that was sort of the bummer of ball pythons, right? Is that it was like presented as ball pythons are the answer for all people. And I understand the appeal of that, mm -hmm. but simultaneously it's like, and then we saw you just had a far greater number than I think you'd ever seen of reptile folks who had only ever kept one thing. I was like kind of across the board, maybe when they're real little kids, they had had something, but even some of that, you're getting people who got involved at an older age. Maybe they had, you know, seen a garter snake in the wild or whatever as kids. And, and they thought it was cool, but they didn't have anything. They got ball pythons. They only had ball pythons and they had a lot of them. Yeah. And it was only like maybe when, it became hard to sell those things or they would go to the show and like, well, everyone had similar stuff or all ball pythons at least. Right. Right. That they were like, you know, there, there was some inclination to expand their horizons. And they said, Oh, it turns out I actually really like Amazon tree bows or rainbow bows or 
yeah. lizards of some kind or sure. whatever. Yeah. Right. You know, you're a mastix, you know, stuff that like, <laughs> oh, okay. If you didn't grow up going to the, and had a good access to a pet shop that had a variety of things to at least, if you didn't get them, you would look at them and go, oh, flying geckos. That's a cool thing. You know, I, I if you didn't do that, then you wouldn't have that experience to even think, oh, maybe I would actually enjoy doing something else instead of just having like this sort of very sterile setup of tubs with all ball pythons that just happen to look different from one another. Yeah. I still stick by, you know, I, I think, I think, um, my, my thoughts on the whole, you know, putting a snake in a cage as opposed to putting it in a rack, um, that whole, you know, argument that I've had in the past that it's it's more for the the keeper than the kept. Um, sure. You know, um, because you know I can see why you would want to recreate that. You know, I mean, don't don't we all sort of want that little piece of nature in a box? You know, and right. um, I think that um, you know, I think I I don't I don't know. I kind of feel like the reptile hobby is sort of moving away from the idea that to be legitimate in the industry or as a, as just even a person in the, in the, in the hobby, um, that you have to breed in order to be somebody that's, you know, somebody that has a, that, that I don't even know if like being somebody is the word, but you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, your, 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 um, your comments or your thoughts or whatever would be is, 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 they look at you as somebody they look up to, I guess, in a way, you know, I mean, if, if that makes sense. Um, sure. The, the weight given to your opinion about anything reflects the, you know, number of them that you have that you can speak from or what, that sort of idea. And I, I, yeah, I'm totally with you. And even on this, it's naturally over 20 or 25 years, same as you, there's a progression of thoughts, right? Where it's like, Believe me, as a kid in the mid-90s or whatever, seeing these impressive freedom breeder things and seeing the nerd setup or seeing um, Dan and Colette Sutherland or the Barkers, and they have these, I mean, it looks like a museum, a museum slash zoo slash Jurassic Park lab, right? You know, and I, right. it, it's super cool, you know? Yeah. And, and so I, again, I can understand that impulse. You know, I, I totally do. I, I think it's it's just then a question of looking at it and saying, okay, well, what am I doing it for? And I think you hit the nail on the head that it's like, well, most of us are really doing it to try and enjoy what we're doing. Right. You know, it, it's not actually if you equate the dollars and cents and stuff and say, I mean, it's, <laughs> at least in terms of percentages, the people who do the best in terms of producing um, actual money from from this and on a percentage basis are the people that produce only one clutch they have one pair of snakes and they produce a clutch and then they you know yeah. sell those or whatever and it's like well you made i know joe and i have had that conversation where it's like oh okay well the people who did do the best with corns percentage wise are the people who have a single clutch and they sell them and then they and they you know invest the time in the babies and they get a decent price for them and then they um you know, oh, well, I did 600% of what I have invested into these, you know, at this point, based on all the years that I've done it or whatever. And it's like, yeah, well, that was $500, you know, as opposed sure. to, um, yeah. you know, orders of magnitude or whatever. But I, I think we get misled on that stuff. And for the most part, like, if you're 
making a lot of money, you're probably spending a lot of money. I've certainly been there, you know, and it's like, okay, well, again, I'm fortunate to have enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed the ride, you know, and and that had value to it. But I think for most of us now, we shouldn't, we should be much less focused on, I don't know. I just get bummed out when I hear people say like, oh, I'm making these for the sole purpose of selling them. You know, selling them, particularly yeah. to sell them at a show, it just really bums me out because it's like, well, you also have this other job where if you didn't have to spend all this other time, maybe you'd have more in- mental energy for that or something. Right, or right, you could right, just right. do what you had. You know what I mean? Like, sure. uh, I don't know if that's the best, you know, I don't know. It, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 uh, I, I, I agree. And I, I, I just think I, I remember... Tinley Park, maybe the first or second year I was there, I remember having a conversation with, you know, some some carpet and uh, green tree guys, and you know, we're just shooting the shit. And I I said, you know, I, I think we missed the mark. You know, I think it was it was green trees in particular that sort of stood out to me. You know, I remember looking at the table with the Condro Coalition and all, and like just being amazed at Rico's animals and stuff. You know, yeah, like, holy shit. You know, and like that, even though some of them were like ten thousand dollars or whatever. Right. I, you know, it's like it wasn't even so much the price tag. It's just like you're looking at a a work of art, like nature's art, if you will, and it's like why wouldn't you want that in a beautiful display where you could, you know, like somebody yeah. comes to your house and they're just like, you know, it, it sort of falls into that thing. Now I just had, um, I had my uh, niece and nephew over this past weekend, you know, and obviously the uncle Eric, can we go see the snakes? And, da, 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 da. and I take them into the snake room and they're like, I don't know. It doesn't have that same wow factor because you're looking just at like, like, oh, what are, are there snakes in here? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and um, I took them into my uh, the the diamond python room, and now they're able yeah. to, you know, actually look at the snake without, you know, yeah. necessarily holding it or whatever. You know, and um, it just I don't know. Just seeing those little perspectives just makes me say, okay, yeah, you know, uh, okay, I, I I I get it, and I I think I think sometimes you know when it comes to whatever the hot topic of debate is, and this just goes with anything, it's like we've been so entrenched in our camps that, like, we don't want to listen to what anybody else has to say. Um, Like, you know, if it somehow goes against your thought, then, like, for whatever reason, it's just like, "Mm, no, no, no. I mean, you know, most people don't listen with the intent to understand. They listen with the intent to reply, you know? Yeah. So (laughs) they're, you're not really having a conversation. (laughs) Which means they're not even listening. Yes. I mean, which is what that means. You know, it's like, well, actually not even listening. Right. Right. Because you're just trying to formulate in your head, your rebuttal so that somehow your, your opinion is correct. And there's, there's no, there's no middle ground of it, you know? Um, you know, and I think that's why everybody gets so defensive about whatever camp you're in, you know, whether, you right. know, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a morph breeder or I'm a ball Python people, you know, and it is, it's just like, I've really, really tried to, and we've talked about this in the past, like, you know, sometimes listening back to old NPR shows and it's just like, I felt like I had this platform that I somehow had to <laughs> set the Preach story from. straight sure. or preach from or yeah. whatever the case would yeah. be. And, um, 
you know, and then I was just like, and it wasn't until a lot of other podcasts started coming out that I started listening to it and saying, oh shit, I sound like that. <laughs> like, you know, I'm, I'm talking in definitives and like, you know, I know that drives you crazy. That's a pet peeve. Of yeah. yours. <laughs> you know, you want to punch the wall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, but, uh, but it's so true. You know, I mean, it's so true that like, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, Nick saying that nobody cares about this and like, you know, I think the experience that I've had with certain species of python just lends to the idea that certain species suck. And that's why they're not popular. You know, I don't care what you can love the species, but they still suck. Right. You know, I mean, um, there's aspects of them that make them hard. Yeah. I mean, it's one of these things that, oh, if stuff isn't around it means either we probably started from a really small pool and or there's some sort of hidden aspect to their care or physiology or whatever that might be that makes them so that in the in general right in the general context of being maintained by people they weren't able to maintain the captive population at that same level they didn't just do it themselves there's some you know there's some something about them that makes it so that they just didn't oh well, they just sort of meandered along they yeah. they started from a pool and then that pool went away well that means that there's something challenging at a minimum and you can invest all the time in the world to uh, be the exception to that rule. Yeah. But I mean, for heck for your, <laughs> the sake of recognizing your own work, you should at least acknowledge that. Right. Yeah. And be like, Oh, okay. I mean, heck dude, I, when you say that, I see it in the context of the Solomon Island tree boats, right. Where I say, yeah, those babies are very challenging, very challenging. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I know when I grew up and coming out of the 80s into the 90s, Bob Applegate, you know, oh, Alterna are, are difficult. Here are the tricks you can use. He had a, a whole, you know, a great resource in terms of putting himself out there from very early on to to give people guidance. And I, I try and do the same thing. Mm -hmm. And hopefully, especially with the rhinos and stuff that I've done that, I, I think that actually is the case. Heck, Owen got eggs before me this year. <laughs> um, I know. I was, I was, you know, yeah. like that, that's awesome. You know, and I, I genuinely like have reached a point where I'm happy about that, Yeah. which is what makes that. And that makes me happy with myself that I'm genuinely happy that that's the case. Yes. yes. You know, and, but you know, as, as I was to, to finish the thought, I derailed myself is that like, yeah, Solomon Island tree posts are really hard. <laughs> they're hard. And not, not once they're established, uh, doing well, even as wild caught, not necessarily hard to keep. Um, they males can be tricky because they want to eat lizards because that's what they do their whole lives in the wild. They just don't get big enough to eat rodents, whereas the females eat rodents uh, once they get big enough to do so. So they will eat rodents for us. You know, it's like right. if looking at that, I, I even can give sort of that advice of like, okay, yeah, if you're as you want to have one. And you, the thing that's accessible to you is wild caught, get a female because that one, it, it might fast seasonally and do the stuff, but at least it probably will want to eat rodents. Whereas like a male, when it seasonally fast, then it's going to come out of it and look at you and be like, why would I eat a rodent? I never eat rodents. That's <laughs> right. for the females. Right. You know, and then you kind of have to restart the whole clock again and stuff. So they're, they're very cool. I enjoy them immensely. But yeah, to the point you're making, there there's a reason that like what thousands of them have been imported. They've they've only been bred 
a handful of times globally in captivity. I mean, maybe, a, I don't know, a dozen or something, mm-hmm. being optimistic. And you even then, you would rarely see, oh, these, these are my, here's my litter of captive-bred babies for sale, because they're hard. You know, right. they, they are hard. They're hard compared to things that are hard. <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, there's hard, harder, hardest, and it's like, I don't know that they're hardest, but they're at least to that middle option. Well, isn't that, I mean, you know, getting an ant, getting an anteresia, you know, species to go is, is, can be challenging, but like, at least you could scent a pinky or give it a mouse leg or a tail or something <laughs> right. like that. You know, I know you're yeah. saying that, you know, not only does it eat lizards, but the lizard has to be asleep or something, you know? He is it's... alive and asleep. He has, it has a slightly like, wait, different what? thing than just it. Yeah. It's like, well, it wants to eat live, sleeping lizards. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like, okay, well, it's live. I got there, but like, you know, I mean, how the hell do you stumble upon the whole sleeping thing? Like, how did you, how did you come across that? So in, in terms of that example, that's coming from scientific literature. That right. that okay. species that entails actually is pretty well studied and stuff. So there's there's insight into that, but right. it's yeah. So I mean they're they're seeing it right. <laughs> you know where you have a okay you have a nocturnal um, you know your nocturnal snake that's eating these diurnal lizards at night. Okay, right. well you can you can get insight into what they're doing or what they're sneak and they literally be have studies where they're watching them slowly sneak up on them, get close enough, and then go for it when the, when the thing's asleep and has stayed asleep when they get to within strike range and stuff. Right. Um, is there any ideas of why they do that? Like, why is it, um, you know, why do they have to be asleep? Is it just because, I don't know, I, what, what would be... I think they're just not fast and coordinated enough to, oh, okay. <laughs> to right. take them down when gotcha. they're, yeah. you know, when, when they're awake. <laughs> the lizard is too wily when it's awake. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Which makes sense. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, like, oh, oh gosh. Wow. But in, taking it slightly back to, to what you were saying about the camps and things, I think with greater experience, we learn that all the different things can work, right? I don't have a strong feeling about, well, I agree with, I, if I have any feeling at all, it would be to agree with you and say, yeah, the cages are for the keeper. And that, yeah. that's okay. That can that can be okay. That can as long as it works for both the you know the keeper and the cap, then that's okay. You know, you you can make that choice. If it doesn't, one way or the other, that's when you can run into problem. You know, you probably don't want to be keeping dark frogs in tubs, right? In yeah, snake yeah, yeah, bags. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Generally speaking, you know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. the general. And even then, as I'm saying that, I'm like, well, you could probably do it, but you know, like it's it it's certainly not sort of the the norm and the standard practice. But, um, I mean, the other thing that it reminds me of is that it's like, well, there are things that are easier and things that are harder, but you can do a whole variety of things that will work. Right. I mean, famously, Mm -hmm. Hank won't put baby snapping turtles in jars and grow them up until they were the size that they couldn't get them out of the jar. And then he would break the jar and start over. Right, like you're building a ship in a bottle, but it's a right. turtle, you know. <laughs> right. And it's like, okay, yeah. I mean, and guess what? They they did fine. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's. Right. But that speaks more to the the resilience of those animals than it does to anything else, right? That's really what that's talking about. And in the same way, I know Greg Maxwell used to say, "Well, like, yeah, sure, I could, 
I could keep a chondro in a five-gallon bucket with a you know screen replacing part of a screen and putting a light bulb on it. I could I could do that. Right. That doesn't mean that's what he wants to do. He would build these big, you know, wooden enclosures and all this stuff. Right. Or that he would tell someone that that's what they should do. But right. it does speak to, with greater experience, particularly within a specific thing, the range of options is much more broad. But you'll see, like, oh, okay, generally speaking, um, burrowing species or species that live under leaf litter or whatever – those probably will naturally do better in a rack. Something that lives in a tree or that you know hangs down in front of a cave on a nightly basis and eats bats is probably going to be really situated to at least really take advantage of a cage if you offer it that. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, <clears throat> it's 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 just um, it's just one of those things that. You know, it's, it, it, I don't know. I guess it seems to have quieted down. I, I don't know. I've sort of pulled myself away from Facebook for a while. Just, um, you know, you delete the app on your phone and you just kind of, okay. <laughs> you know, you're not tempted to look at it 24 seven and whatnot. And, um, um, it kind of feels good in a way, you know, it kind of, as much as I feel like I'm unplugged from the, you know, what's going on in the world, um, at the same time, it's sort of, um, sort of an escape and I can kind of it kind of feels like I'm sort of in my um, I don't know my own little world here with my reptiles you know I'm not worried about what other people think or you know uh, not even that I'm worried about what other people think but but you know what I'm saying like you know you're you, yeah you're, you're focused on your own enjoyment yes mm-hmm. yeah yeah 100% you know that that's the that's the defining factor it's not oh well I have you know, X event happens that I feel joy about. I post it online and it gets ignored. Well, that's in, that's necessarily going to negatively impact my own joy that I had about it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you if you don't have if you don't put it out there to to have that, or you if you do, you have it in a very limited. You know, Owen post you know puts it in the group picture or the the group message that he has his eggs and stuff. That's awesome. Right. You know, but like by not putting it out, if he puts that out there, especially given his sort of public exposure and stuff, people will, half the people are just going to be giving him a hard time because they think it's funny or something. You know what I mean? Sure. And it's yeah. like, but that'll detract from the experience, his joy. And that's yeah. <laughs> really a testament to what the approach you're taking. I, I should try and do the same thing. And it's like, okay, I, I just don't be defined by your own joy. Rather than, you know, needing validation from other people, and 100%. it's, I mean, heck, man, I am, I do think that we, as keepers, have been, have received benefit from that associated with all this virus stuff. It's like, well, at least, as you said, well, at least we have these little worlds or these creatures that we can enjoy and kind of get away from some of some degree of some extent of these troubles and stuff. And it's like. Well, imagine if you didn't have that. That would that would be extra yeah, depressing, oh, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, jeez, this would be that. Australia can't watch a snake in a box. What the hell, man? <laughs> right? What am, what am I going to do? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, I was thinking about the whole you know um, Australia thing, and um, you know, um, I think I think that like you know we we've talked about finding the the species and all and all that stuff but i think there's a level of 
providing that you're going with the right people and it's people that you can get along with and, you know, uh, you know, uh, sort of stand each other for, for a week in close confined spaces and such, um, right. whether it be a car or a tent or, a <laughs> or, a, or a hair yeah, whatever, beam, whatever it would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, but there's a certain, uh, level of, um, for lack of sounding corny, a level of brotherhood that, you know, you're like, you're on a mission and, and, and you're working together to, to I don't know, it, like, yeah. it must check some boxes in our, you know, in our ancestral DNA of some sort that just, uh, you know, to be in so outside of the day to day dealings that we are all going through, whether it's, you know, work or kids or home or, you know, your kid's school or, you know, just the day to day, your house, this, that, and other. And you're sort of like seeing, um, the natural world and, and, and you're seeing it from a perspective, you know, especially with, I, I noticed this more so in the Northern territory than when we went to Queensland, because, you know, it's, it's not as populated, but it's like, right. There's just a level of calm that, you know, I think I could have went to, you know, the Northern Territory and not found a thing and still right. would have had a great time um, just in, you know, that's why I get so excited about, I'm, I keep stumbling upon these YouTube videos from from people, herping Australian stuff, and you're just like, oh, yeah, you know, uh, <laughs> this is awesome, you know. Um, yeah, I mean it, and it is. It's I, I'm with you 100. percent I think part of it is the just sort of adventure, as especially adventure as part of the team, you know, and both in terms of the foresight and planning, and then just being there and being. I think part of what it is, man, is that when you're there, like you're you're in it, you know, you are invested in what you're very invested in the moment, and in our daily lives, that doesn't. That we have so many distractions pulling us in so many different ways that it's not all that often that we legitimately are a hundred percent vested in this moment. Yes. Yeah. And that's, that happens all the time. Yeah. When we're hiking around, that's where we are. We are here. This is what we're doing. You know, things will still happen. Phones will be left. You'll have <laughs> weird interactions with yeah. the European tourists and all these things like stuff will, stuff will come up, but just, as a proportion of your day where you're hundred percent invested in what you're doing, at least for me, it's way higher on uh, whenever I'm on a trip like that for the trip I just took than it is just on a given day. I'm thinking about a million different things or I'm trying to do a bunch of different things at once, or I'm stressed about the, you know, other drivers on the road or whatever it might be. Right. Right. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah, it's um, you know, it, you know, another exciting thing for me was um, I had uh, I think I I don't know if I said this on the air or not, but I I know I I said something to you or you guys in the chat or whatever. It's like, um, you know, I know you do painstaking work to uh, you know to map out you know these routes and roads and you know what I mean like where I'm right. just sort of like looking at it like okay we're going to Brisbane <laughs> you know right. we're looking at we're going to mile marker 14 on road number <laughs> you know six they found uh three coastal carpets on this road and blah 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 um but uh I'm reading the uh complete children's python and um uh, rereading that and going through it and um you know I'm, I'm like wow that name sounds familiar 
wow, that name sounds familiar because I'm reading the children's Python section. And, you know, a lot uh -huh. of their territory is where we were in the Northern Territory. You know, a lot of their range right. is up there in that spot. And I'm like, oh, that sounds familiar. And I'm sending you a message. Hey, Rob, you know, did we go here? Oh, yeah, that's where we we walked along the, uh, you know, which I don't know. It was weird. I kind of forgot about that little trip that we took, uh, you know, when, right off of Dorat Road. Now the name is escaping me. Yeah, uh, Robin Falls. Yeah, 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 that's it. Robin Falls, you know, and we climbed up that, yeah, you know, that uh, dried up maybe waterfall. Waterfall. Or it is, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's like, wow, I was there, you know. And yeah. the cool thing, you know, again, with those trips is like, rereading you know the complete carpet python or the complete children's python or you know any australian um reptile book is like um you know you now have a visual and you have right. a uh, a sense of you know how hot it was or how cold it was or how humid it was or whatever the case would be and and it just really changes at least for me, it gives me more enjoyment now reading that book because I have a different perspective, you know, like I would be re flipping through those books and yeah, I've heard of these localities and those locations of things. And, you know, they, you know, like Tully stands out, you know, you know what I mean? Like we've heard these names and gelatin and all these things of like, you know, where we've heard these, uh, Mount Isa and, you know, uh, yeah. pick the, pick the, uh, you know, the, uh, quintessential, um, Australian Python locality and um, sure you, you you know it but you don't know it you don't know what you don't know is I you know is yeah you know what I mean yeah um, right you know it as a cool sounding name right that you've yes. that you <laughs> fixed in your mind yes. it's not oh I know exactly what that feels like looks like feels like all this different stuff yeah yeah I mean a hundred percent you you had asked earlier and then we sort of diverted without me really answering about what I enjoy about the trips and besides being fully invested in what's going on and being, you know, part of the team that's doing this stuff, you know, it gives me something to, to plan for, to think about, you know, so I know you've seen it now several times, right. Where it's like, okay, well, by the time we went to Darwin, I was sort of over Darwin. I yeah. wasn't that interested, <laughs> you know, yeah. I wasn't that interested because I've been thinking about the minute details of the, uh, Google Earth map and all these different resources and all these different books and stuff for eight months by the time we went. And it was only kind of getting there. And then once you're in it, that it's like, wow, my joy is back. I have the same, yeah. same passion, if not more than I did yeah. nine months ago, eight or nine months ago when I first started looking at this super intensely. And I've literally invested all this time and thought, but it's that it gives me, I that gives me something to do with my mind, right? I, I enjoy that process. And that's been on a big, well, that has been a part of the bummer of not going in March, right? And then mm -hmm. it'll be, I, I told you, I was like, man, I, I cannot do the same trip again. Like, we can't just say, oh, well, we're going to do the same thing and push it back. I just can't do it because, like, it's incredibly hard for me to relook at the same stuff that I already looked at for I mean, I was looking at this trip before we went to Darwin. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like in terms of what we were going to do. So right. it's literally that, you know, go if you go back to September, August or September of last year, I was thinking into specifics of, okay, I want to go here, here, and here, you know, for Imbricata and what we're going to do and this sort of stuff. And then it's like, 
okay, well, that trip didn't happen. And so then I sort of pushed it back. We added Justin to the mix, and it was like, okay, that that was kind of a kick in the butt to you got to focus up because Justin's the same. He likes to think through all this stuff, and that that was needed, right? That was super useful, and I actually came up with a good plan. And now, I, I mean, I'm, I guess I still hold out some hope. Heck, I, I bought a ticket, <laughs> you know, ostensibly or whatever. Yeah. I just uh, reading the the news and things that I'm seeing, it, it yeah. seems like – it doesn't look that positive, but that being said, uh, heck, man, we'll we'll see as as it gets slightly closer. I, I suppose I certainly wouldn't have predicted where we are three months. I mean, you you can speak to it more than anyway. We were talking every day back when we were trying to figure out, okay, should we go? What's the status? Can we will we be able to come back? Should we do it? And I wouldn't have believed this at that point in time. And I think this is generally true with with everybody, at least if they've given it enough thought in that way if they were forced to think about it is that it's like man i i would never believe this would be the case so i don't want to say predictively what anything will be like a week from now a month from now let alone three months from now or whatever because we can look at it in that same context and say well why, why should i trust what you would think about that because three months ago you felt completely differently you'd never seen anything like so right right um, but that being said, I do think if, if this doesn't happen, we will find, uh, a different Australian spot to venture to. There are so many, so many awesome ones, so many awesome things to find still. And, yeah, man. um, I'm just so excited, so excited to do it. So excited to plan to do it, to think about the intricacies. Cause there are so, I mean, there is some, certainly no, no small element of, of fortune, but it's, it's like anything, right? Where the fortune favors <laughs> those who plan well and and try and align as many things, as many variables as they can, you know, in terms of the moon cycles and what time of year and the weather and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, everybody makes fun of me because of those moon cycles, but boy, does it play a big part in you know planning those 100%. trips. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it yeah. really does. So um, yeah, I mean, it, it intrinsically made sense to me. So I don't think. You know, fortunately, I don't. I don't feel shame over. You know, oh, I was the person shaming you about the insight. Oh no, no, but certainly no, anyone no. who goes like field herping would would not be a person who would say, "Nah, you're crazy talking about the moon." Eh, it, it makes a difference if. Yeah. I mean, heck, I was talking about with Keith, where it's like, well, the thing is, you actually you want to be on that last quarter into the maybe a day or two past the new not only because of the reduced moonshine that you're getting, but the moon is literally setting, especially in Australia, so close to the equator, particularly in you know, the northern stuff that we've done so far. It's yeah. setting, the moon is setting before the sun even does. And then it's coming out at four in the morning or whatever, so we're already kind of over at right. that point, you know? Right. Um, and it's just like, well, that's as big part of it as anything. It's not only that there's not much moon, it's that really it's not around this portion of the earth at the relevant time to allow predation of these species. So they're more likely to be out. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent, you know, and, um, yeah, man, it's just, it's, it's, you know, I don't know. It's just, uh, I know we talk about it a lot and I know sometimes people are probably sick and tired of hearing about it, but, um, I don't care. I, I <laughs> I'm trying to <laughs> put it out there that like, you know, it's uh, such a cool adventure, especially if you're into rep and it doesn't have to be Australia. It can be anywhere you want. I mean, shit, man, you could travel the U S and probably have the same type of uh, adventures, but 
I think there's a certain level of um, escape that you yeah. probably wouldn't get if you stayed within the U.S. And, you know, I know Nipper is always saying, like, you know, why aren't you guys, like, you have so many cool reptiles in the U.S. And we do, you know, and it's undervalued. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought about, you know, and this sort of, like, led me to my, my thoughts about, you know, where I'm at with why, you know, not only do I love... I don't know what it is about Australia that that I just that just fascinates me. I mean, everything about it just fascinates. I don't know if it's just because the animal life on that continent is just so different so than different. anything else. Yeah. You know what I mean? Um, you know, and and the people are great, and you know, and and it just looks like you're stepping into a to uh, something long, long time ago, like. More so, I, I would imagine out west maybe has the same type of feel, um, but you know, being able to escape, at least for me, the reality of, of the day-to-day bullshit that you know I have to go through or whatever. You know, I mean, I, you know, sometimes I'm at work and I'm just thinking, man, I wish I was sitting up on that rock at Norlandia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. I, mean, I just right. wish I was sitting there just you know, chilling out right now, and they're like. Eric, um, what are we doing with this? And I'm just like, oh, man, I don't care if there's an OP there or not. <laughs> I just want to be sitting on that rock and listening to the nature and just soaking it in, you know. Um, but Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think so a couple a couple thoughts from that because I'm 100% with you with, with the excitement and, and the differentiation. It reminds me of some stuff I was wanting to tell you out of the trip last week, but the the other note that I think you know you had hit on earlier, just speaking of the adventure and the team, I think part of what we've seen, right? And don't get me wrong, at all, Scott. You know, I know you're listening. Finding having Scott find us a coastal carpet was over the moon. Couldn't have been better. You know that that was awesome. Having Gab find us the Darwin carpet couldn't have been better. Like literally, those exper- those experiences were made better because of that circumstance of happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if it were a trip where we're just sort of following around Scott, you know, where, where the whole time Scott is just sort of taking us to place to place, and especially if it's places that he's seen that are only new to us, I just think the the downside of that sort of circumstance where it's like, Oh, well we have our local that, you know, is, has been here before and knows the ropes and stuff. I think part of the, part of the adventure, part of the being out of it is that we're all on the same page. We're all equally invested, yeah. right? That it's not okay. Well, th- there's just no way Scott's going to be as ex- he'll be enthused to show us the first coastal because it's our first coastal. Right. But if on our next trip, that same circumstance happened, it'll be less impactful to all of us because, well, he already showed us one before and now we're just into sort of the banality of it, you know, in this, in the same way or he's, you know, he's not having those same new experiences. So I think, I think it's really meaningful that we're all in it together saying this is something that we're discovering as a team and we're all equally invested. And there's just no way that, you know, Scott showing us around his usual haunts where he finds, Crap! It's as he would say, hanging off the people's clotheslines. It's 
we just won't have that same universal passion as a team that makes it so exciting and so fun and has us all in at a hundred percent, hundred percent investment. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, I don't want to misquote Scott, but I think, you know, it, it's sort of, you sort of hit on this, I, I believe, but I think his, his thought was that he's excited for us. He's not necessarily excited for him. Whereas me, you, Keith and Owen were all just as excited to find, you know, whether we're finding a frog, a black cockatoo, a Darwin carpet, or an Owen Pelly Python. We're all sort of like, you know, I, I equate it to the feeling is, is like, if you've ever seen the show, The Christmas Story, and like, you know, at the very end, when the kid doesn't think that he's, he's put so much time and effort into getting this Red Rider BB gun with the compass yeah. and the stock, and like, you know, it's, it's like it's, it's talked about and talked about, and he's trying to figure out a way to, 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 to plot to get this. And then he doesn't get it. And then that magical moment of when, you know, dad pulls out the, like, oh, there's one more yeah. present, you know. I don't know if my dad learned that from that show, but that's, like, you know, <laughs> part of my childhood. It would be that one thing, you know. It's like there's a Fender Strat underneath the bed somewhere or something wrapped yeah. up, you know. And it's just like, oh, I'm like, oh, yeah, thanks thanks for everything. But uh, <laughs> I'm kind of feeling kind of bummed that I, I really didn't want, you know. And, and Sucks. it just goes to speak of us as Americans of how, like, uh, our perspective is so <laughs> fucked up that we're, you know, like, oh, you just gave me a whole bunch of this shit, but I don't want this shit. I want something else, you know. Right. I want a different shit. Right, yeah. right. And, um, but that, that magical moment when, you, when you're like, you know, he's he, ripping off the, the wrapping paper, if you will, and, and and there it is, you know? Holy yeah. shit, it's here. Whoa, I can't fucking believe it, you know? And it's like that excitement, it's a high, it's a drug, and you want to keep feeling that feeling and trying to, like, to, 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 it's almost like lightning in a bottle. Like, can you recreate this ever again? This, ex, you know, you know. Yeah. And I think that sort of talks to the, the, what you're saying about, you know, going out with somebody is that they're not at that level. They're, <laughs> they're trying yeah. to recreate that, but, you know, after you've seen... They want to be there, but, yeah, it's yeah. just, it just wouldn't... It, after and you've it's seen the hundred crapits, you know, <laughs> yeah. I really care about another one, you know? Right, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it reminds me, too. So the trip, so we went down to Montezuma County in Colorado, so the far southwest corner down by the colorado portion of the four corners okay and did a ton of my daughter loves hiking so we we did like three to four you you would have loved the trip man because we did like three to four average three or four miles of hiking a day you know i know after the first trip you're like gotta get out you gotta you know you gotta hike you gotta do all this stuff right and so we had done that and we did them at a variety of different sites right so we went to mesa Verde, which is sort of the famous one people know about it's the the cliff stuff that's most famous was closed you have to take guided tours so that's closed for COVID and then it's been super dry down there, down there. So actually right on the backside of when we were there, they closed a handful of hikes that we had done that we did right when we first got there, mm -hmm. you know, foreseeing, Oh, okay. We got here Saturday come Monday. They're going to close this stuff down. Uh, we got to get in what we want to do and did that had an awesome time, but what we were seeing and, and then we did other things, uh, different parks and different hikes and all this different experiences but all at 
uh, sites or places exposed to ancestral Puebloan or being formerly known as Anasazi people. And the cool bit of that, right, is that you're looking at stuff that's 1,000 to 1,500 years old, mm-hmm. right? And it, to me, it was very reminiscent of the whole finding reptiles in the wild because the the level of the extent to which each of those different places was a curated experience really drove really drove the whole thing. And it spoke to, uh, to me, having the Australian guy or seeing something in the zoo, right? Mm-hmm. When you're, when you just go see Cliff Palace at Mesa Verde, which you actually can't walk down there and do because of the COVID stuff, mm-hmm. but it's sort of, it's awesome. And you're like, wow, that's really cool. But it doesn't really speak to you or grab you. And in some ways I was like, okay, this is sort of the, you go to the music, the zoo, you know, and you see something cool and it's like, okay, that's cool. I really like that. And that's cool. It's super neat, but it's not, it doesn't grab you in the same way as finding something much more common. If you were having that experience on your own, not in a curated, you're on a paved, you know, you're literally walking on asphalt and you're with a bunch of other people who just got out of their minivan and drove from Kansas and they're doing all this stuff. Right. It's when you beat the bush and then you find a single, you know, shirt of pottery that's a thousand years old, but you're holding it in your hand and there's no one, it's not paved. You had to walk three miles in to find this, you know, to, to get to this spot. And then you happen to find this and you're holding something. Someone made a thousand, a a piece of something, someone made a thousand years ago and it's, it's sitting right there for you to pick up and look at and you could clean it off with your finger or whatever you, you know, lick your thumb and clean it off and all this stuff. To me, it was like the perfect, uh, allegory, right. To the field herping experience of saying, okay, well, am I at the zoo? Am I being shown by someone, a curated experience where someone's showing it to me or I'm finding it on a, a road in a heavily urban area or am I, is this an Owen Powell in Kakadu, right? Where, where it's just us, we're all in the same boat and we're all running the same way. Or even right. being a fog dam, you know, kind of the difference of that water python versus the water python in the botanic gardens. And the one that, that really speaks to it, right? Even that it's a very similar thing. You're getting a different experience because the one at the botanic gardens is eating giant ass rats that are eating all the tropical fruit that they grow there. You know, so you have this monster olive python sized thing. Um, But it's like the, the experience is entirely different. And even then you get into road cruising stuff and versus finding it on a given trail versus just being beating the bush, you know, a Northern Brown snake on the road versus turning a quarter at Nurlangi and having that thing right at your feet. Those are, (laughs) those are two different, (laughs) both awesome, but very different things, you know? Uh Um, And I I think that really speaks to it. You know, it's like, well, how much of a curated experience is this or how much am I just, even if maybe it's something that isn't intrinsically, obviously Cliff Palace, much more impressive than a single pot shirt. But the one I found myself, and I'm able to hold it yes. and see it and study it. And it yes. it's in that sort of, in the moment of the experience, it's, quote, mine, right? Whereas the other is cheaply available to anyone in their minivan. Yeah. And, the, you know, that that to me is is the whole, the whole thing. Yeah, I'm with you. I think, um, you know, just thinking of our trips, and this has nothing to do with reptiles, but, um, you know, speaking to sort of what you're talking about, about, you know, being in being somewhere that somebody was there thousands of years ago um when we went to chillago 
And we yeah. went into that cave and, you know, um, sitting there. I remember I was messaging Keith that night because yeah. I felt like he he would he would understand. He would get it, you know, like and, and I'm telling him, I'm like, Keith, man, you know, I said, me, Rob and Chris, we went to this to this cave and it's like 100 degrees outside of the cave. It's 70 degrees inside the cave. Like then you get this idea like in your head is like, OK, so if I was a human being, this is where I would be living because I would have to be trying to escape the heat, you know, and like you're sitting there and like you're just you, you, you're like, OK, I can imagine this is where like, you know, I remember I, I, and it's so funny because we talk about this, too, like our, our individual memories of these things is sort of is sort of different. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, you know, sure. uh, you know, Owen with the cops is like not yeah, really sure. how the cop story went, but uh <laughs> You know, oh, but uh, we yeah. let Owen run with it because, uh, yeah, that's his. That's how he sort of uh, envisioned it. You know? That's his experience of it, or his his recollection and memory, and that's fine. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, but but for a note, we did not tell them that we were looking for snakes. <laughs> we did. Would not have say. told them any liter- <laughs> almost anything else. Literally, yeah. almost anything else. Yes. <laughs> uh, it's just funny, but um. Uh, just sitting there and, 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 you know, I don't know if it was because, um, it was more remote. It seemed like it was more remote. I don't know if that's legitimate. No, or not. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No. It, just, it seemed like that was our experience and there was, it wasn't like there was, um, like everybody was walking the trail. Like, so like kind of what right. you're saying is sort of like when we were in Northern territory, that's sort of like. The feel that it had, although it was just as awesome, but there was there was sort of a, you know, like I can't believe that I'm sitting in a spot where like, you know, somebody was here ten thousand years ago, just struggling to survive, and how did they do it? And like, you know, it just you start to like understand that we take so much for granted in our day to day lives, and like, you know, all these things are running through my head as I'm sitting there. You know, yeah. meanwhile, you're climbing in the back of a cave somewhere and, you know, Chris is all videotaping stuff and, you know, just sitting there and, and being amazed by the little skinks that were running around on the rock, you know, just like, wow. Yeah. You know, so many perspectives were learned from that, uh, from that spot. And what an adventure, man. You know, I mean, you know, driving through the storm and shit and like, you know, yeah, it's just like, I mean, I it's, it is, it's the same man where it's, it's speaking to that same and even I mean, heck, that's a microcosm of it, right? Well, two two things jump to me, right? The first is that place must be crawling with Antaresia and Elapids. But because of our circumstances of when we were there and stuff, we didn't see any of them. It was yeah. still awesome. Yes. It was, we still had all those feelings despite not seeing stuff that I know must be there, right? Yeah, that you could tell from these skinks that it's like, man, I know what's here. I, every time... I know you had the same experience where you'd walk around a corner and just keep expecting to see, you know, a taipan or a a brown snake or something, (laughs) you know, like, okay, I'm going to walk around and there's going to be a giant snake that I am going to not want to mess with. Right. That's, that's what's going to happen. Right. Like it'll happen and go. And then it doesn't, but it was still awesome. And I think part of it was, you know, as as I was saying, a microcosm of the, the importance of everyone being on the same page, having that same level of freshness or investment or passion or whatever. That was a spot that Chris hadn't been. 
You know, yeah. so we were actually giving him a, a, a novel experience. And so for that, he's equally invested. I mean, we're all being buffeted around by the storm and the cows that look horrific <laughs> and all this. Like, yeah. all of that was happening to all of us yeah. and for the first time. Correct. You know, and it was – Yeah, yeah it was that, just, that, uh, that was awesome. It was – yeah, it was uh, – and it, it, I guess that also, yeah, like you're saying, that we didn't find anything there. But obviously there's stuff there for sure, 100%. But um, didn't – it didn't – you didn't have to – just the environment alone, um, you know, was enough. You know, it was so different than... in the moment. Yeah, it was yeah. so cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'm with you and the hiking. I think you're totally right that it's... Um, we get too caught up in, you know, kind of uh, the road cruising and finding stuff versus... Yeah, and you, to your much to your credit, have been right this whole time of saying, like, curate a, a good experience... You know, the best experience we can have, even if that doesn't necessarily mean to sort of finding stuff, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's just a raw numbers game. It's the experience itself makes a difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think on the second trip, you know, we did a lot of like, you know, for lack of a better word, touristy type stuff during the day. And, uh, you know, at night we would go kind of look for reptiles. If we stumbled across reptiles during the day, that's a bonus, you know? It's like yeah. an added bonus, you know? But, um, you know, just uh, going and seeing the termite mounds that were, you know, all facing yeah. the one direction. The magnetic termite you know? mounds. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah. And we're looking yeah. at this field and you're like, holy shit, you know? I mean, looking at it in a picture is one thing, yeah. but when you're looking at it, you know, and it was just that you walked on a ramp and you walked out and you looked at these termite mounds and then you walked back to the car. But that experience yeah. of seeing that, you know, um, I don't know if I, I just, all I can keep saying, and I keep trying to preach this on the show and I hope it catches on like my preaching about IJs caught on and, you know, <laughs> trying to get them, you know, uh, people yeah. to love them just as much, and it sort of probably is the same feeling that you have about rhinos. Is the same feeling that I sort of have about them. It's like, you know, when I first started doing them, nobody gave two shits about those snakes, and now all of a sudden they seem to be getting some steam, and um, it's awesome. You know, I love yeah. it. I think it's great. I think that, um, you know, uh, I'm not saying that, you know, because there's people that got me into it. So it's like you, you, you're, you're paying it forward, so to speak. You know what I mean? You're keeping it. I think me, Chris Salemi, were the only ones in the early days of, I call it our generation of Morelia keepers, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> sort of uh, even guys like Nick Mutton, like he didn't really yeah. focus on, like it, which just kind of like, I don't know. I remember talking to him multiple times, like Nick, why aren't you like selectively breeding these things? Like, why are you not the IJ guy? Like, I don't understand. It, it checks all of your boxes. Like, I mean, it's every box. <laughs> you know, you can have your own bloodline. Check. You know, uh, natural yeah. uh, variation. Check. You know, select breeding project. Check. You know, not cross pure species. Check. <laughs> Any question marks about the purity? Nope. Check. You know, I don't I don't know. But um, it just wasn't, you know, I guess that goes back to the... Uh, when you do it as a living, you have to make certain sure. uh, you know, certain business calls, decisions. Business yeah. decisions yeah. that uh, you know doesn't mean you can't still love the reptiles and stuff, you know. But uh, yeah, you're not going to make a living off of selling 150 dollars snakes unless you're doing 
you know, tens of thousands of those $150 <laughs> right. things. Right. So, yeah. Um, no, I'm with you, man. But, I think the, uh, yeah, I don't know. I know I'm throwing a lot out, man. Just throwing shit and seeing. It's <laughs> just like, uh, yeah. No, cool, I, I'm, I think it's been fun. Yeah. So the other other thoughts that it, things to to hit on. I know and this will take us way back in the conversation, but you were talking about the Tiger Jags scene. Was it yes. the Tiger Jags or the the Red Tiger Jags that are less bad? Well, they would, I guess, technically, they would be Tiger Jags, um, you know, because I brought a Tiger to a Jag. Um, you know, some of them are like the bald back, uh, some of them, you know, with no sort of saddles on the side, and then others have the bald back with those little saddles on the side. But it doesn't have the same type of classic Tiger Jag look with that bald back, but still I would consider, I, I think it's just the side pattern changes the... Um, the look of it, so to speak, but I think it's still the same thing, if you will, you know, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Yeah. Yeah. I was just, I was trying to, to remember the pull from the, um, the ones that you were seeing less neurological from. Well, I was just saying that, like, in the, um, in my experience with breeding Jags, it seems that, you know, I've picked the combo. Um, Mm -hmm. and right away from the egg, you can see that neurological, uh, thing, especially so with albino Jag stuff. I don't know what it is about the albino gene and the Jag gene, Mm -hmm. but for whatever reason, in my experience, that makes it worse. Yeah. Yes. It it seems to be worse in those cases. Um, now granted, and there are some, I've hatched out some that aren't as bad. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. But, um, in the real extreme examples of those have always been tied to albino. Um, right. But when I, and which ones these, are, yeah, which are the good ones? So when I hatched out these tiger jags, I noticed that they seemed like normal carpets and I'm, yeah. and I know that the, I'm not, and again, that's why I preface this by saying for, you know, anybody that's new, that's listening to the show, uh, I am by no means saying that 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 they don't have that neurological issue. I'm just saying that it just, you know, the reason I that this even came up is I was asking Rob um, what his thoughts were on why, and even if it would be possible that you would see less of the neurological effect um, with different more or less of the effect with different genes at play, you know, and it just seemed like this tiger jag. And, 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 you know, when I'm looking at the hobby, we've sort of moved away from that combination. You know, you don't really see it's more zebra jag, granite jag, exanic jag, uh, you know, albino jag, albino zebra jag, caramel, you know, that kind of thing. So that was sort of, yeah. My thought is that, so accepting sort of because we get a, a ton of this insight from Ben, right? That is assuming the Jag gene is impacting, so having an impact on the distribution of uh, melanocytes, right, from the neural crest, um, and sort of in embryo embryogenesis and in development of the embryo there's different pathways that get things get function that genes carry different sort of 
developmental functionality to different parts of the developing embryo, my thought would be that it's, and so that's being disrupted by the JAG gene. And that's why we talk about it's intrinsic to the gene, right? There's sort of neurological issues. There are things that in the embryo, in it, in the development of the embryo should be in certain spots for a proper, um, a properly, a hundred percent properly functioning animal mm-hmm. to develop, right? The, the, that being thrown off the develop the the pathway is being thrown off because of the pattern and color abnormalities the developmental abnormalities the genes being in the wrong place or not being in the sort of normative condition get those things in development in the wrong spots so that they don't function properly i know nick talks about this in the context of Dalmatian dogs, right? That they're more likely to be deaf if they don't have black on the ears. If they have these white ears, they're almost going, certainly going to be deaf. And if they have black on the ears, then they'll almost certainly be fine. That's because the the neurological functionality, right, associated with that dog as a developing embryo, that they actually are riding with the black pigment going to those places. So that there's this, again, speaking to the stuff Ben had talked about before, where you're looking at one thing, but it's telling telling us about something else that we can't so easily study in and of itself. Mm-hmm. My thought would be that if we recognize that that's what the JAG gene is doing, that there's something about the tiger genes, right, the polygenic appearance there, in combination with that, that are sort of rectifying some of that. It's possible that some of those pathways, the striping, is actually putting those pathways back where they should be. So you're having a counteracting effect to the disorganization caused by the JAG gene, by that striping, that it's actually rebuilding or properly aligning some of those pathways mm-hmm. so that a striped JAG is actually more likely to be fine because you have competing forces as opposed to if you just have a JAG that it's going to be sort of a neural mess, right? Um, which would suggest then, and I, you can speak to this sort of anecdotally or whatever, it's, it would be sort of funny and interesting if you would say that your most sort of switched on and physically fit carpets are striped carpets. Because if they are, that would sort of, particularly tiger striped carpets, are some of the sort of physically most physically fit, switched on, wouldn't show you any sort of neurological weirdness at all, maybe that we see out of inbred granites and stuff. Like, if that's the case, it really would would suggest that that those are really fortifying those pathways, lending credence to the idea that, yeah, your JAG, you know, leads to disorganization. The tiger striping is promoting organization so that it's not perfect, but it's a much better JAG than it otherwise would be. Yeah, which makes that that totally makes sense to me in the way that um, even now that um, you're saying that, you know, um, I had some thoughts running through my head as far as the the polygenic nature of um, of the tiger gene. And, um, you know, you're getting, you know, the difference in the what I was talking about with that bald back. So let's just say for sake of uh, for an example that that's, um, you know, would be. If you separated out those genes, you know, the tiger would be 100%, well, maybe not 100%, but the tiger would be, you know, that solid striping that you see in a tiger. You know what I mean? Like sometimes you'll get right. a zipper yeah. pattern in the, as, a, as the stripe. Sometimes you'll get like these little portals on the side, which, you know, 
over time, yeah. as you start to connect, the, you know, add those genes sort of connect or however they're, they're operating, you know, to make the stripe, whether, you know, you have to have the five genes or six genes or 10 genes, whatever it is, um, sure. that would make sense that, you know, in those tiger jags, specifically with those wide bald backs, some of that loss of pattern, which is sort of what the jag gene does, you know, it right. reduces the pattern. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's coming more from the tiger side rather than the jag side, you know. Yeah. Is sort of how my mind uh -huh. was working, you know. Yeah. So you're getting the, the, the phenotype of this, you know, beautiful jag without the bullshit that comes, well, as much. With as much of it. Yeah. 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 Sure. Um, no, I, I, again, I, I've tried to enter a phase where of the, the phase of the unknown unknown, right? I know what I don't know right. and, and acknowledge that and recognize it and don't, I'm not, um, leery to admit those things, right? They, they, none of us should be, but it's, it's not easy necessarily. Certainly yes. we're, we're approaching that, you know, approaching mm -hmm. that realm. But I guess my, my overarching point would be, you're seeing this anecdotally, and certainly I can come up with a plausible scientific explanation that isn't magic uh, for why that would be the case. And so it's something to, to bear in mind and to watch going forward and see with the greater sample size if that remains remains the case and stuff. And if so, I mean, it's unlikely we'll have the, the people with funding sufficient to dive into this topic. But, I mean, it's it's the sort of thing where we can come up with a – uh, a plausible theory that would make some sense and we'd have you know then again it's science right i'm just postulating something that that mm -hmm. makes sense or is conceivable bearing in mind that scientists others you know people could actually test it and you know effectuate all the my postulates and see and say, oh, actually, well, it's X, Y, or Z. You know, it was just a sample size bias or something else, and, and I'd have to accept that. But I, I think it's stuff that we oft, too often disregard, saying, no, Jags are always messed up. You're just not seeing enough of them. And it's like when you instantly told me, I mean, you can speak to it. When you told me, I said, well, sure, I can come up with a, a postulate as to why that could be true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... It's like one of those things, like, and, and then you sort of, you know, again, I'm just sort of aligning the history of the carpet python, you know, in, in the U.S. hobby. And, you know, if you, I mean, you can attest to this. You remember the days where there was the heated debate on whether or not you could, you know, breed the, the neuro out of the jag. And, you know, you had some sure. people that were saying that they didn't see it, you know, and other people, you know, they would be saying, <laughs> yeah, mine are normal. I don't know what you're talking about. And then you got other people that are like, well, mine's upside down and, you know, it's eaten <laughs> upside down. And you're just like, why, why is there such a, why is there such extremes with this? Like what, what, you know, if, if this is a gene, then, then shouldn't, sure. you know, what else is at play that's going that's on? That's causing the expression yeah. to be so varied. Or is it just that people are being disingenuous or not, not Could honest be. about it? Yeah. It gets yeah. us into the sure. same spot where it's yeah. like, uh, you, you just don't know, but taking it at face value, it's like, okay, well, clearly there's a range of expression which I think everyone would agree with at this point. There's a range of expression, and there are certainly stimuli that can be applied that make it express itself more in anything, whatever the natural sort of rate of expression would be. And sometimes that means, you know, shipping it, and that could be a permanent change, or it could be a temporary change, or pairing it up, or feeding it, 
or, right. you know, whatever it is, you know, putting it in with another male or whatever. Right. And it seems like, and sort of what I was going to get at is like back in those days, a lot of, so you had two camps uh, when it came to the JAG, you know, you had like, I remember Jason Bale and his main thing with the JAG is like, he's making, you know, he's trying to reduce that pattern on a tiger JAG and he's just breeding them back to tigers and getting the pattern to reduce and, you know, but he's working with those two uh, morphs, if you will, you know, he's working with right. those two morphs and not really crossing too much else into it where you had other guys that are making granite Jags, you know, um, at the time that was probably the most extreme of the combos, you know, but, um, um, you don't really see too much anymore nowadays, like people making tiger Jags, like just straight tiger sure. Jags, you know, you don't, you don't see it as, as much as you did back in the day because, we're trying to make zebra jags and granite jags and you know hypo jags and you know whatever <laughs> you know what I mean like all sure. these different uh, combinations of of jags and um, the other camp that you had back in the day is where you would have these guys that were breeding it into the different subspecies you know whether it's a diamond jungle or an Irian jaya or whatever the case would be and you know making or a matlots python or you know what whatever uh, yeah. you know floats your boat. Um, or as the old saying is, Jags were bred to everything with a cloaca uh, type of <laughs> I would right. be curious, and I don't know, maybe Travis is listening to this, and uh, um, he would have some insight. I wonder if there's any sort of um, same thing that is seen with uh, the spider gene, and um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a, I know there's a tri-stripe ball python. I know there's other, I don't know if right. it's just like a striped, is there a striped? Ball python, just yeah. I mean, so there was those the yeah. So there's a genetic stripe, and then there were the those weird patternless ones that Dave and Tracy hatched out and didn't seem to know. Like they weren't, they didn't right. have the paternity tied down, or you know which which ones they had come from or whatever. And then I never saw those again. So I don't know if those were sort of defective physiologically defective snakes in some way or something that caused i don't i don't know whatever happened with that but um or if it was you know it sort of seemed like maybe that was random mutation that it right. actually caused that and maybe there were problems so it was never you couldn't just read the same pair again and have the get the same results or whatever right. um so those would be in that in that vein the tri-stripe the genetic stripe and then that oh, yeah, whatever that was stripe. now i know yeah that Duh. How could I forget yeah. that? Yeah. But if if you have no, I, I see exactly where you're going. It's like, okay, if you does the spider tri stripe or spider genetic stripe, is that less uh, generally speaking, does it show less neurological problems? I, I don't know. That'd be inter very interesting for sure. Yeah. Hmm. Things that make you go home. So I guess my advice to you is if you want to work with Jags. Try to get the tiger into there, and maybe we'll see, you know, <laughs> some more results. And then maybe, you know, three years from now, people will say, "Ah, that's total bullshit," you know. <laughs> sure. Uh, you know, it just was lucky that you got those jags that were okay, and you know, but um, it's just the, that's the kind of stuff that just fascinates me, you know. But, um, but no, hundred percent, man. And just being open to the question, yeah, I think is so important. You know, saying like, okay. I, I'm not going to, the important thing is just to not poo poo that is to say, okay, this is our anecdotal observation. Mm -hmm. Is there a plausible explanation? Okay. Let's make some more and see if it still holds up. 
Yeah. You know? Yeah. 100%. What I can say that, um, you know, I'm going to sell all those Jags, and I've actually already sold two, uh, actually three. COVID and lockdown is like crazy <laughs> for selling snakes. I don't even advertise. I think I'm going into the camp of, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, what the yeah. hell's his name? Um, totally the diamonds. Blank. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, yeah. you know, no advertising, no nothing. Gary Valle. Yeah, 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 that's it. Um, you know, just this underground guy that, like, you have to have a you know, passcode in order to, <laughs> to buy a snake from or some shit, you know? But, I would say having a weekly podcast makes you more accessible than Gary Baye. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I hear you. I understand. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this is probably true. This is true. This is true. Oh, man. But, One cool thing that I had seen today that – so there's an, yet another new reptile podcast, or at least new to – well, certainly it's new overall, but certainly new to me in the last week or two. Mm-hmm. It's, some, it's like so much Pingle or Pringle. Have you seen this? No. So much Pingle, I think. So I, th- I think he's a herpetologist who does, it, it seems to be mostly like South America field stuff. Um, somehow I had seen it. Someone must have, it wasn't someone being on the show, but someone had posted a link to it or something and I checked it out. And it's interesting. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. But um it prompted me to see that he's associated with a, a herp touring company that goes to the Amazonian Peru and stuff. But even beyond that, although you would appreciate that, uh, I think the third episode was talking about them uh, finding Bushmasters in Peru. Yeah, so, I, just, I just pulled it up and I'm looking at the one that I went to, right? Yeah, the episode of yeah. Bushmaster. <laughs> Yeah, which is, you know, the dip Mars pole and all that stuff. But it, uh, yeah, so you give a listen. Um, but uh, anyway, so as part of their talking about that, they mentioned a nonprofit that does herp trips and fish trips and stuff. And the cool thing, although I, I don't know, mixed feelings as ever, but tossing it to you to see what your thoughts are. If you go to the, that nonprofit expedition sites website, Mm -hmm. they do, in addition to herp stuff, they do uh, fish, fish hobby trips where you can go to the Amazon. And because the vast majority, like by orders of magnitude of species are non-cites, they actually establish relationships so that you can go collect your own fish for aquaculture. You know, you can go to the Amazon no and collect shit. your own fish and take them to an exporter. And then, like, four days after you get back from your trip to Peru, you get fish that you can put into your aquariums. Holy shit. Wow. It's, it's you know, just sort of a mind-blowing thing. Yeah, they don't you have know? to argue, is this pure? You can say, yep, I got it from this locality and this, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I went and I collected that, it myself, uh, totally legit. And okay. I'm sure it is, you know, how, how would it not be, you know, or whatever, but. Wow, that's, um, pretty, uh, that's pretty interesting, you know. I mean, yeah, super, super cool. You know, I, I don't know, part of me says if you were viewing like if our trips, if that that was somehow an aspect of, if that was legitimate an aspect of our trips, would that ruin the experience? You know, if you're just sort of grabbing it and putting it in a bag as opposed to taking a picture and saying, 
uh, see you again, mate, you know, um, yeah. would that, would that change, like, how would it change it? But certainly there's at least part of it that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean that, I guess that's the, um, the, the, the inner debate that probably a lot of us have, um, when it comes to reptiles in captivity. Um, right. Overall. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can go back and forth. And if you're being honest with yourself, I'm sure that all of us at some point have had that question pop into our head. Is this right? You know? And, um, as much as I, yeah, man, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I would, I would be lying if I said that I would not love to go and find a carpet python and say, okay, right. put be it able in a bag take it. and send sure. it home and take it to everything's the legal and legit, you know? I mean, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, like I said, that's that, that, that internal struggle that we, that we have. I think, I honestly believe, I guess, my thought when it comes to, you know, just the idea of captivity of animals in general, um, provided that, you know, they're being taken care of properly and ethically and all that stuff, um, you know, uh, that you, as much as some people might view it as, you know, those animals... I guess to the outside observer, they might have view it as like uh, they they have a terrible life or whatever. But you know, I would say it's legit that you know. I mean, we love our animals. We love you know trying to do the best that we absolutely can for them to see them do you know the different behaviors that we want to see them do. Um, and sure. you know, I think it just gives us more. At least for me, it gives me more of appreciation for nature itself, and you know, uh, rather than listening to some politician on the TV tell me that I'm, we're killing the earth. You know what I'm saying? Like to me, <laughs> yeah. you know, when I hear somebody just telling me like, you know, uh, you're killing the earth because you're driving your car. Um, okay. Well, I didn't right. design the car, but I need a car. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, or the infrastructure I, that, that makes it. So I need to have a car correct. To, use to do that. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. But at the I same mean, time, I'm you sort you. of have a, a, a mindset that, I don't know. I think that that's the one good, you know, from a conservation point of view. Um, I think that's one of the, uh, the 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 good things, you know, about being the hobby. At least, you know, you you want to go to these places and see the animals in their environment. And um, yeah, man, I don't know. That's got my mind racing. We could probably talk another two hours about. <laughs> Yeah, you know? Right. I mean, I, yeah, I, I am the same. You know, I have so many conflicting thoughts to me. The thing that jumps out is it's like, well, ideally, I'd like to my hierarchy, right, would be to see them in the wild doing their own thing, save predation. Right. So that they, they were free from the risk of predation, but they were able to do in an unadulterated habitat, do yeah. all the things that they wanted to do. Right. Certainly. I would prefer to see them in captivity than see them dead smashed on a road by someone who intentionally ran them over Correct. because they don't like reptiles. Right. The, you know, it, it's, I guess it's, the, I have many conflicting thoughts, but the part that's clear to me is that when you view it on the dichotomous ends, right, of saying beautiful life and unadulterated habitat with no 
risk of predation. Well, that's obviously the best alternative. Mm-hmm. Being intentionally crushed in intentionally brutally crushed uh, by someone just because they don't they they think you know they're afraid of reptiles or nature or something, but simultaneously live in the outback mm-hmm. um, is the opposite end of the spectrum. In reality, it's the answers are probably answers in all the, the plausible scenarios are somewhere in the middle. I mean, the road thing definitely happens, but they are mostly they're somewhere in the middle. And it's like, I don't know. I just saw that today and it, it was like my initial ran through a gamut of, Oh, that's super cool. Wait, how do I feel about this? <laughs> how would I feel about this applied to reptiles? Yeah. Mm, I, I, I don't know. And I, I still don't, uh, I still don't know. It's obviously completely legitimate. They're non-CITES. It's through regulated, uh, regulated exporter and stuff. I think it's very cool. I just don't. And presumably it's all happening on a very, very, very minor scale. Yeah. You know, yeah. so that, and that's why it's not regulated. So I, th- I think that, or it's lightly regulated, I should say they're, uh, food species, I think, and like stingrays and stuff and sighty species were not, you can't do that. Right. But unlike our stuff, like it was something like, well, in, in this stretch of the Amazon or whatever, where in this river that this trip is going to, there's something like 150 to 250 regular, regularly seen species of fish that would be exportable. If, mm-hmm. if you found them and, and those were something you wanted to try and do. And obviously there's a cost associated with all of that and whatever. So you wouldn't just it denude the river taking all, all these fish. It would be picking and choosing really cool things that you're wish list. But how, we, how would we feel about that? I don't know. It's very, yeah. very interesting. That's, uh, that, that is interesting for sure. Um, yeah, I, you know, uh, what popped into my head when we we're saying this is, uh, you know, a lot of the criticism of people that, um, you know, smuggled animals, um, you know, and it's, it's like that, it's like that, you know, it's sort of, sort of the same type of thing, except, you know, obviously that's sure. illegal, but <laughs> it's like, you know, you got some, somebody that's, you know, saying, you know, oh, I'm against smuggling, and then da, da 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 And meanwhile, they're you know have a pet. They get their pet bearded dragon, <laughs> yeah, yeah, or, 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 yeah, 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 whatever, you know. And it's just like, sure. huh? Wow, that's a little ironic, huh? <laughs> you yeah. know, like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, totally. I I think the other bit of it, and maybe that's as as we were talking through it there, the thing that jumped out is that it's like even on the smuggling stuff, you know, it's not it's not for me. But I certainly appreciate that we have availability of stuff that we otherwise wouldn't have. The part I don't like and never have liked on any import or export of wild reptiles is just the notion of saying of just the the bulk quantity stuff. I don't think anyone likes that. Even the people doing it, I think, nah. probably yeah, don't like it. it. You know, where it's just like strictly this numbers thing, and it's all just it's as brutal and ugly as it can be. I just don't think that appeals really to, to anyone, the $2 house gecko or, you know, the iguanas and all that stuff. Yeah. Yeah, And it's, it's, it's sort of like, you know, I, I, I could sort of equate it to the whole debate you have with the whole drug thing. You know, I mean, the fact that it's illegal does, you know, if you made it legal, would it change the situations of people? Um, you know, and it's sort of the, the same thing with, 
with you know if, if we're talking about australia specifically you know i mean we've talked about this numerous times on the show like i don't understand why they don't export you know captive born and bred um right. you know reptiles i mean they seem to do it they you know you talked to when we were on the uh carpet python tv uh thing mm-hmm. they were talking about how birds are imported all the time right yeah it's just like wait what <laughs> you would think that you know, well, and, uh, and coral and yeah, fish, fish, right? Like all these other things. It's like you got this Reptiles fixation. Reptiles are the no-no, you know? It's like, political fixation on it. Yeah, it's very weird. Yeah. And I don't know if that's just a matter of, um, you know, replacing the old guards uh, with new guards. and Maybe that'll change over time. Or, you know, maybe Australian reptile breeders have to sort of, uh, you know, uh, establish, uh, you know, uh, U.S. ARC type of deal that maybe they can... Um, you know, coordinate with uh, with the with the Australian government to sort of allow that to happen. I mean, I mean, the idea that they don't come out of there is just silly. They do. I mean, it is what it is. You know, and so or at least well, they have in the past. Yeah, yeah right, 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 sure. right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, um, it's it's just it's just weird how it's like. You know, um, I don't know. I don't know. It's it's a weird. Yeah. I would I would love to know their the their thought process behind it, other than just the idea of like, well, you can't have it. <laughs> right. You know? it, it's, it's our, you know, it's, it is sort of like this weird insular, you know, it's our, it seems to be that, although the interesting bit, right. Is that I know Dennis had mentioned, um, the email, you know, forwarding on the stuff from Gav to try and get Owen Pelley's, you know, to zoo, you know, zoological institutions outside Australia. And so maybe that represents sort of a first half step in terms of being, because I know, you know, Terry got stuff for Reptile Gardens. And certainly, I mean, 20 years ago, it was like no go. The sort of the general perception was no go. And then Terry showed, well, it's not no go. It's tremendously tedious and painful and all these things, but it's feasible. Yeah, and then this is like a, a step even further of saying, like, okay, well, this is, you know, um, a, a very clear path that presumably is totally approved and all this stuff, and no doubt because there's such a benefit to the indigenous uh, folks from the areas that Gav, you know, Gav snakes were from. Right. That, uh, you know, that that is sort of was I was a little taken aback very positively associated with that development unfortunately being timed up with this covid stuff i know it's just crushing all these budgets and it's it's sort of like the worst possible timing to have such a and which i mean i suppose it, it's just the the constant thing that always plays out right where you know just when you spent your last nickel that's when the coolest thing that you would ever want gets posted on King Snake or whatever. That was, yeah. that was always the, the joke, you know, right? Yeah. Is it's like oh, just as soon as you've committed to do something that you're you are super into or whatever, it's like then the next thing you know, the thing you never dreamed was even possible. Right. That would have been available to you had you not just done what you'd done is available. This is sort of the same thing where it's like, wow, man, we're literally talking about okay, your zoo could buy a pair of Owen Pelly pythons and have Gav literally hand deliver them. And then they're, you know, he's telling you how he's setting them up and all this awesome stuff. And that's, you know, finally available. Yeah, that's man. finally a realistic possibility. And then zoo budgets are just like demolished across the globe. Right. 
Yeah, and it's 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 one of those things. I mean, to me, I, and and again, maybe that just speaks to my um, you know personal bias towards that species in particular. But to me, just the story, um, you know, listen to Gavin yeah. tell the story of that, and like you know, the indigenous people and their stories about that snake, and you know, and 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 to me, that's just the perfect animal for a zoo-like setting. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you you know, uh, you can set it up and it's not something that people have seen. It's big snake that's super impressive, but at the same time, you know, it just has all this folklore surrounded around this thing. And, you know, if, if you're into... If you're into reptiles and you went to a zoo and you saw that, I, I bet you would be blown away by it. Most people don't even know that that species exists. I can't tell you how many right. times I'm talking to people and they're like, what's an own pellet python? Like, even amongst reptile people. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. hundred yeah. percent. You know, and, um, um, uh, you know, I don't know. I just think that that's, um, you know, it's, that would, there'd be so many positives to that, that, you know, um, I remember Gavin sort of saying the story of, um, you know, his original founding stock is one day going to be taken back to where they were, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? And allowed to, to, to die in, in, in that land. And, you know, to me, it was like, wow, that's, that's next level, man. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> right? as I'm eating my crock farm, yeah. I'm like, whoa, <laughs> I could listen to this guy tell stories all day and night, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. But, I'm with you 100 percent, man. It's, yeah. yeah, it's just so, so interesting. And that so, just goes to afford the, the you know, to, to tie it all together in a nice little bow. Um, you know, that wouldn't have happened if we wouldn't have 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 made that trip, and uh, yeah, you know, and uh, be able to eat dinner with with a guy like Gavin and and just shoot the shit with him, and you know. Um, you know, I don't know for you, but like, you know, like I was saying, like when I was first getting into carpets, reading his theses and, 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 and then actually walking through where he wrote that, <laughs> you know what I mean? With him as our guide, like to me, that's when you want the guide. You're like, right, exactly. Shit, I mean, <laughs> like, I'm so starstruck right now. It's crazy. Like, I can't believe that he's telling us. And, and, you know, like there's always these little stories that come out that like, you don't think about when you're telling people stories, you know, whether, I mean, as many times as you or I have been on podcast or Owen or whatever, and Keith, and we're talking about our trips and stuff. And, um, you know, there's certain stories that we have, um, that, that we have, you know what I mean? That like, I don't know, it's just, just, just it, it's ours, you know, it's not like we've, we've necessarily talked about it or whatever. And, you know, um, when you're talking to people one-on-one -on -one that like, you know, at a carpet fest or something like that, that's when those stories get shared, you know, cause it's not something maybe you want to, it's not like you're trying to hide it or something, but you know, maybe you just think that people just aren't interested in that. And you find out that like, you know, um, you know, at the last carpet fest, I remember Dave Kaufman was, um, was, we were in the, in the snake room and, um, he was just talking about, uh, you know, uh, the situation he had with uh, a, a pit bulls running out onto the street and killing a kangaroo, and some guy pulled up and like threw it in the back of his truck, and like you're just like, what? <laughs> you know, again, probably not something he's going to share on his um, YouTube show, but um, 
all the same, just a, you know, a crazy story, but, um, yeah, yeah, man. Cool stuff. Cool stuff for sure. So, all right. I think we did it. I think we did it. And, uh, yeah, this was fun, man. It was, uh, yeah, man. It was a good time. Uh, this this would be our uh, normal uh, weekly conversation anyway, about two hours. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so. Um, no, yeah. that's awesome. Good stuff. So I guess I'll just do the, uh, I don't know, is there anything else you wanted to throw out there? Or you... Yeah, I mean, I guess the the only thing, the only stuff I had down was, yeah, we'll try and make some U.S. stuff work, I think, is maybe the. The play, depending on how long this all yeah. lasts and how long we can't <laughs> can't go to the place we really want to go. You know, I, I know um, that uh, Jacob had had reached out based on me poking fun, you know, during the IJ roundtable. So he had reached out, and then I told him, you know, they always talk about Herp in South Carolina and all that stuff, and that sounds really awesome. Mm-hmm. I had expressed interest in us going down there and maybe making a trip of that and having, again, so that's a slightly more curated experience saying, hey, man, you know, maybe it'll be a little less fun, but it'll be great to hang out with you guys, you know, and so yeah. maybe you, you guys can show us show us some cool stuff because we'll be, we will be at 100%, and then hopefully we can just sort of in the conversation and stuff be bringing you to 100%, even if it's not, uh, well, I've seen this, you know, seen plenty of corn snakes and all, but I'm at 100% because, you know, we're hanging out with Eric Burke. You know, it could be better than that, you know, so maybe that's what brings us to 100%. I don't know about Uh, that, but. (laughs) Yeah, right. Oh, my goodness. So, yeah, so I I think that's that's part of that. Uh, Certainly I'll see you guys relatively shortly, and we'll try and do some stuff and, um, yeah, man. I guess the only outstanding question is kind of, you know, if you have thoughts on at some point, I, <laughs> I have to hold out hope that at some point we'll be able to go back to Australia and it's kind of, what are the places that you want to prioritize in terms of doing that? I know we've talked about it a little bit, but in this context, I mean, what do you, what are you thinking? Well, you know, it's like, yeah, I guess it's like picking your favorite child or, you, you know, do you have a right. favorite child? Trying to do that, deal, sure. You know, um, yeah. I, you know I, I think I've always said this to you before, like, you know, I'm sort of like, uh, I, I, and I think this is sort of why, um, you know, me and you sort of gel on this level is because you get excited about the, uh, you know, the details where I'm more, you know, I want to see this. <laughs> Yeah, we're right. gonna go here. Da, 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 da. Yeah, I don't care, man. Just as long as we see, this, <laughs> you know. <laughs> What's right. what are we're we gonna the see there? To do it. You know sure. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, you know, I guess, you know, Queensland and the East Coast is always a good time. Um, you know, I I, I think uh, the first time we went there, um, you know, being the first time that we went there. Um, you know, I think if we went back, maybe we would have, um, you know, hadn't been there twice, maybe, maybe a little bit of a different experience, maybe getting further up the, the Cape type of deal, mm-hmm. see what that's about. I think that would be cool. Um, you know, um, prime time, you know, I'd love to get over into, um, you know, uh, the Kimberly and that sort of thing. Yeah. I think that would be uh, fantastic. Um, 
out of the two, Queensland and, and Northern Territory, as much as I thought that I would like Queensland better, I think I like the Northern Territory better. I don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, you know, maybe I have to experience more of Queensland. Maybe it was the remote uh, feel of it or whatever. But um, you know, I would love to find, um, uh, you know, um, Awoma. That, that's uh, yeah. that's a big thing for me. I think. I would love to do the whole stretch of like, you know, and I know this is a long shot of finding like an inland carpet that would be high up on the uh, yeah. the priority uh -huh. uh, for me, um, which is sort of like the, you know, especially the ones from like the Flinders ranges and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Getting the reds and stuff. In yeah. Them. yeah. Um, you know, um, at the same point, I would love to see, you know, we've talked about this before. I think our first original trip was we were going to go down to like Coffs Harbor and stuff to where the, you know, the diamond and the coastal yeah. sort of integrate. I think to see that with my eyes would be, um, would give me probably a different perspective on that whole, whole thing. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, that's shit, man. There's so much, so much to do there. It's, it's hard to say. Do you have a, do you have a spot that you're, you know, you're particularly drawn uh -huh. to? Or are you sort of in the same boat? <laughs> no, yeah, I'm in the same boat where it's like there's there's obviously just such cool stuff everywhere and there's cool things to see, you know. It kind of in the Chiligo sense of like just having a a great experience of it. Mm -hmm. I think um, I'm with you. I, I think there's something to be said for going back to far north Queensland. I think... Inland Queensland, in terms of talking, there's the spot for Wilma's when you're, you know, along the border there. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's something to that. You know, Mount Isa, or Mount, uh, you said it right, Isa, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that's that trek, that trek over. Certainly, um, you know, there's a well-known spot. Fortunately, I mean, we've, man, we've been, we've been fortunate. You know, in terms of the stuff that we've seen, you know, there's this a particular spot, at least historically, known for blackheads and stuff, and right. just loving, you know, monitors, goannas. You know, man, I, I wish we could see the the glowered eye that are up in the northern, seeing glowered eye in the northern territory, the Kimberley Rocks that are oh, that are man. over there would be unreal. Seeing global palma, you know, I know we get back to the whole thing with Keith saying that to me that that monitor has to have been a, a Tristus, you know, a blackheaded monitor. Mm -hmm. um, I think just because if it was a global palm, I would, is like, you know, probably something that I've just wanted to see for 20 years, literally, you know, right. 20 years of saying that's something that I've never seen. We There have been a, a few in the U.S., but I've never seen them. Um, and related to Kimberly's, which are my favorite, that it – if that uh, if that was a global palma, that's just too depressing uh, a reality for me to engage as a possible truth. So right. I just I just can't do it. It just can't be can't right. be the case. Although, <laughs> admittedly, if you had said, okay, you'll you will scuff up uh, seeing a global palma, but you'll see an Owen Pelle, I I would have had to. I'll have to admit that I would have accepted that. So right. <laughs> I suppose you know. Right. There's that, but I, I would really like to see that. I'd like to see the rusty monitors, the Semiramex, you know. Mm -hmm. And I know Scott gave us some insight into that. It's it's a little bit, um, as with anything, right? Given our, you and I have similar sort of constraints, right? Timeframes mm -hmm. and constraints, and it's kind of how can we um, 
what makes sense, what, what do we want to do, what makes sense, and figuring out how to make that happen. And it pushes some of those things down down the list. And I, here I thought, well, if we're going twice a year, maybe that's not so far away. And then now it's, you know, who knows when we'll go. Right. <laughs> who knows when we'll go next. But what I do know, what, yeah, right, is it – I just I, – I won't even say. I think there, I have to hold out hope that eventually it will be okay. You know, and eventually we'll be able eventually, to do it. Yeah, I think I, I, I'm with you, man. I think, uh, you know, you know, you're talking about all these monitors and I know a big thing for, you know, for reptile keepers and just like non-reptile people that are fascinated by animals is the Komodo dragon. But to see a Parenti. Yeah. Uh, shit. Yeah, man. man. To me, they're hands down way more. Yeah, visually appealing to me than you know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I'm not I trying mean, to take yeah. anything away from the well, Komodo, but um, you yeah. know me, man. Especially, it's been I've been very fortunate to to have the exposure to Denver Denver Zoo, where they have had them, you know, the entirety of the time that I've been able to see that, even just as a member of the public and whatever. So I've been very fortunate to see that stuff. And yeah, I mean, they're. A, insular locality of water monitor basically i know that that's right. not that's not how they're perceived and all but it's like right. okay and as babies particularly they're very multicolored and very cool and whatever and right. believe me i'm not i'm not downplaying them but there is some level of yes i 100 percent agree with you and i can yeah. i can speak from well i mean it's this sort of thing where it's like i've seen you know with no glass between us you know, more than 10 Komodos. Right. I've never had that same experience with a Parenti. Yeah. And I know there are some in the U.S. and there was at least one, you know, that was for a long time in, in private and Frank's collection and stuff. But I, that doesn't mean I've seen them. So to me, I'm with you a thousand percent. Yeah. I'd also like to, uh, I know on our original trip, we wanted to get up to Mount Carbine to sort of find the uh, Pygmy Bandit. I think that would be cool to, you know, to check that off. Um yeah, uh, I'm with you. I, I, we talking to folks and, and things. I, I think we have even a more, as I told you at the time, you know, even when we were going up there and then we wound up turning, it's on fire. We turn around, we go to Shalot and have the awesome best case experience and all this stuff. So it couldn't have been more perfect to me the, the that, that trying where we were trying to find them is probably not the best place in terms of sort of the circumstances of potentially finding them. Right. I have some more insight into that, but yeah, I'm with you. That's something that I would like to see too. Yeah. Yeah. Especially since I've never seen one, it sort of probably plays in that to parenti thing. You know, it's like never yeah. having seen one and uh, only seen in pictures or, uh, you know, admiring Walter's, uh, you know, clutch that he detached yeah. out, Beautiful. <laughs> you know, Beautiful. It's like, oh, wow, these are cool. <laughs> You know, but, um, yeah, man, uh, so much to see, you know, so much to see there. And as me as not being a real sort of, um, monitor guy, say with keeping them in captivity, um, okay. man, it, seeing, you know, when, when we went to that park, you know, and saw those monitors, it was like, all those Martins just running yeah, around. It's like, yeah. what the hell? This is awesome. You know? Oh my God. You know, they just yeah. start running out of the, uh, out of the, out of that, you know, what essentially was like a, a rainforest to the side of it or a dam or whatever it yeah. was that, uh, you know, they're just like, it's like they heard a dinner bell and they're just like all running <laughs> down, you know, like, oh, 
right? They'll basically walk here. up to you, you know? Yeah, maybe the they got Crazy monkeys people. with food are here. Maybe we can, uh, you know? <laughs> Beg it off them like they're, you know, seagulls at the Jersey Shore or something, you know? 100%, yeah. So. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, man, it's just uh, tons of hopefully, uh, you know, we can uh, keep taking trips and, uh, you know, check all this stuff off and uh, maybe eventually move on to another continent. <laughs> right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm with you, man. So. But in the interim, we'll, we'll get some good stuff here, too, and have same thing, you know, just be, be at 100% and have a great time. Yeah, man. Yeah, hopefully we uh, will get the tick off the uh, – have you ever seen a timber – Rattlesnake? No. Uh -uh. Okay. All right. Yeah. That'll be cool. That'll be cool. Hopefully uh, we can score that. Uh, that'll be real cool. Because uh, <laughs> me and Matt were talking about that trip and, you know, it's just like we thought we were all, you know, skunked out for the day and, you know, just yeah. went up to this spot and, you know, as the sun is set and, you know, now we see like 12 of them. We're like, holy shit, another one. Holy shit, another one. You know, it's just like. Ah. Makes it so much better. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, so hopefully we can make that happen. But uh, yeah, man. So we only got what? It was a, like a month away, I guess, about almost. Something like that. Yeah. 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 In a month. So awesome. But, uh, all right, I guess, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up and, uh, uh, yeah. So it was, uh, it was awesome chatting with you as always, you know, um, but, uh, yeah, to do, Same uh, to do our first official, uh, you know, it only took nine years, but, uh, <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> to do the first oh, official gosh. podcast with me and you is, uh, is, uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Owen's not listening at this point, so he won't be, <laughs> <laughs> he won't be upset. Um, oh my gosh! Uh, it's good times, but uh, yeah. So uh, I guess uh, we'll throw stuff out there, and then uh, yeah, we'll we'll call it. Um, I guess what I'm going to do with this episode now is uh, so I just want to put a little disclaimer out there. You know, uh, we did the episode with Derek Rowdy last week. Well, actually, we did that about a month ago, to be honest with you. But uh, um, the way that we've been running, it's we've sort of do podcast in a clump, and then you know release them for a while to give us a little bit of a break um but anyway uh we put that up on youtube and uh, i wanted a npr to have its own youtube but i guess you have to have a certain amount of likes or subscribers in order to post up anything over uh i don't even know what the cutoff is at a certain time frame or yeah, something yeah so i had to put it up as much as i didn't want to i had to put it up on my personal YouTube uh, um, uh, page, but um, I guess that sort of ticks two boxes for the moment to sort of like, uh, you know, give me some time to get off my ass and start, uh, you know, making some quick videos and stuff of what's going on, um, what I got going on. Um, you know, it's, it sucks, you know, it's, it's like just investing that time and yeah, it's a lot of time, man, you know, and Sometimes you bite off more than you can chew. And just this COVID shit has just been crazy yeah. for me over the last four months with work. And it's just, it's, I don't see any relief in sight anytime <laughs> soon. So I'm doing my best. Oh, I know I'm behind on Carpet Cliff Notes episodes and all that stuff. But, um, but uh, I promise that we will get caught back up and uh, start getting that out there more often uh, on a regular basis. But the one thing you can rely on 
is NPR. That will always be <laughs> up once a week. You know, uh, that I promise will happen uh, one way or the other. Um, so I guess uh, I'll put this up as a as an audio because we didn't do any video because uh, me and Rob are you know uh, think we're starting a new rock band or something with uh, with our hair and <laughs> 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 super long. I mean, most of the time I'm wearing a do rag in my YouTube shots because yeah. it's just so annoying. So, uh, but uh, but anyway, um, I'll put I'll put it up there if people want to listen on that uh, platform. I guess, and I, I know I'm breaking my rule of. Um, I think it's a little different for us because we're going from podcast to YouTube yep. as opposed to YouTube to podcast. So, uh, <laughs> I'm going to give myself a pass. If you don't want yep. to, well, then, you know, curse me or whatever you want to do. But, uh, <laughs> it is what it is. So you can find it over on the E.B. Morelia's uh, um, uh, page, uh, YouTube page uh, for now. Um, and probably going forward, I guess uh, we'll do that. We'll see how it goes. Uh, seems that we got a lot of positive feedback about it. And it was cool to see Derek's stuff, you know, stuff he's talking about and whatnot uh, in the video form. 100%. Uh, yeah. People that wanted to check it out. Um, and it was weird because he just kind of sprung that on us uh, when we were doing Skype. He's like, hey, man, you want me to show all some stuff? Are you going to put it on YouTube? And I'm like, well, yeah, maybe we should, you know. And <laughs> Owen's been so anti YouTube for so long. Uh, that uh, finally convinced them to uh, sort of go that route. So we'll see how it goes. But uh, I'm not making any promises. But uh, yeah, <laughs> hopefully uh, we get that staying uh, staying normal. But uh, anyway, so uh, if you want to uh, next, well, I guess in next week's episode, um, we're going to be talking with um, with uh, Phil about uh, knobtail geckos. A um, little departure from uh, the normal, uh, you know, Python talk and carpet talk that we normally do. Um, yeah, I guess watching those uh, videos from the reptilian diaries sort of uh, yeah. got me excited about uh, talking about geckos and stuff. And, you know, there's some cool species of geckos even in Australia, but... Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sending a message. Understatement of the year. Yeah. Hey, Rob, <laughs> yeah. what is this? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah you, I told you about that one before, man. And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I guess I wasn't paying attention. I don't know. Sorry, man. But yes, it's very cool. You know, um, the black headed gecko and all that kind of shit. Uh, just, is this in captivity? Yeah, it is. Whoa, no shit. You know, wow. Um, so, uh, yeah, if you want to follow us, MoreyPythonRadio.net is a website. You can follow us on uh, Facebook page, Instagram. Um, you know, uh, if you want to get in contact with us, info at MoreyPythonRadio.com. Um, also, we're on all podcast platforms uh, that you can subscribe. And uh, if you like what's going on, um, yeah, so uh, we have sort of an influx of, I, I'm assuming that the, the influx of new people listening is probably maybe from the YouTube crossover. I don't know, but it seems right. like it uh, spiked a bit. Um, so uh, if you're new, welcome. And uh, hopefully, uh, yeah, you. Uh, I know there's uh, tons of content out there now, uh, you know, there's we went from uh, us being really the only one to now there's probably, and, you know, and now you just dumped another one on me, Rob. What the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, you know, it's funny. Like, I'm like, okay, eh, this topic doesn't, you know, before I would just trying to be absorb as much info as I could, you know, and now it's like I can be a little bit more selective and say, okay, well, this one really <laughs> doesn't fascinate me next, you know, um, so, but there you go. Uh, so yeah, uh, you know, um, 
if you want to go back and listen to our archives, uh, you have to go to uh, blogtalkradio.com slash Radio. Uh, and you can tap into uh, the older stuff uh, there. I think on Spotify it comes up too, where you can listen to a whole the whole album. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, the whole uh, the whole catalog, if you will. So, um, so I don't know if uh, hmm. okay. people are checking that out if uh, you listen on there, and uh, also on SoundCloud too. Uh, you know, I'm paying some monthly subscription for that too, but uh, I think uh, you know we got some play from there as well. So. Uh, so yeah, you can check us out in all those spots. Um, and then uh, let's see, what am I forgetting? As far as uh, myself, uh, just E.B. Morelia and um, you know Owen is Rogue Reptiles um, and uh, Rogue Dash Reptiles. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Rogue Dash Reptiles. I gotta remember that. I always forget. I've only heard him say it for the last <laughs> five hundred episodes. You know what I mean? uh, yeah, we're this is episode. What episode are we? Gotta get into. <laughs> uh, oh, here we go. It is episode. This is episode 457. <laughs> awesome, man. That's unreal. Holy shit. <laughs> That's a lot. Um, that is a lot. <laughs> yeah. 457. God damn. Uh, yeah. And that's all, you know, for me. What about you, Rob? What do you got? Yeah, I'm still doing, trying to put together the the website in the way that I'm imagining it and talked about last time. So High Plains Herp on Instagram, people can reach out to me from there. Cool, 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 cool. Um, So yeah, uh, until next week, um, thank you for listening to Marilyn Python Radio. Good night. (laughs) 